In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Sidlatik, and today we are going to be discussing my favorite comic book character, Venom. We're going to discuss the new movie, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and the board game, Marvel Champions, with the Venom expansion. It's a card game. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Joining me for the discussion today are Hobbybox, Joe Burns. Hey and Don't the- say my last name. <laughs> okay, and Jake. Hi there. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, guys. Jake, it's been five years since yeah. you were on the show. Why don't you reintroduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your personal history with comics and your favorite characters. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, uh, I assume we're around the same age, uh, uh, elder millennials, or we'll just say people born in the 80s, right? Uh, so for, uh, my comic experience, uh, I actively bought comics with what little, uh, allowance money I had in the late eighties, early nineties, or I would ask a parent, you know, to buy it for me because comics used to be everywhere. They used to be mm-hmm. at a gas station. They would be, you know, in the bookstore, you know, et cetera, groceries, you know, a uh, grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And, uh, so it was easy to accumulate comics and I felt like they were in a, uh, a period of, um, of, I, I'm not going to argue the best period for comics, but I feel like they were pretty good in the late 80s, early 90s. And then just on top of that, the bonus of my dad still had a trunk full of hundreds of comics from the 60s and 70s. So we and, have to see some of those. And we've talked about that on the show a little bit. You are actually going through the process of getting some of these graded and selling some of these classic comics that your dad had. What were some of the like high points of his collection? Yeah, um, well, I'll say this. The the high points of his collection, the true high points, uh, were all thrown in the garbage in the 1960s. Oh, no. So, you know, my, my dad is a classic boomer. So he his initial comics were from the 50s and the early 60s. And he did get into Marvel Comics early on. Uh, so he, I, he doesn't remember because he's not a big comic fan. It was just something he got when he was younger. He may have had some early Marvels. Well... Then he was uh, he went in the army in 1968, and you know he's out of the house. And what do some of the uh, the older folks do? They throw away those <laughs> comic books. You know <laughs> they just thought they were disposable junk. So what he had remaining uh, were late 60s and early 70s stuff. So to answer your question, the the high points of his collection were the first appearance of Vision. Uh, from 1968. You were just telling us about that. I didn't realize the personal collection. If if he still had that comic and if it was in pristine uh, condition, what would be the value of that comic book? Yeah, uh, that one, fair market value, last time I checked, which was last week, we're looking at like $44,000. $44,000 for what at the time was just old junk to be thrown out by your parents when you 12 left the cents. house. 12 cents is what it was. That's, That's insane. Crazy. Yeah, right, right. Oh, that is a that's it's fascinating to have you going through this and like sharing tidbits of it with us because it's I had no idea that com- I knew that comics could be valuable, but I had no idea 
How valuable. Coming back to your personal taste, who were some of your favorite characters and like what storylines do you remember most from like your personal heyday of comics? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's see. I've always been drawn to Captain America, but I think that is mostly due to uh, my dad's old collection and he had a lot of Captain America. Uh, so I got to read some of those. So if we're talking more some of the, uh, the personal things that I enjoyed, uh, I would say late 80s, early 90s. A lot of kids around my age, Spider-Man and X-Men were really cool. Um, so one of the storylines we will probably maybe touch on today was the Spider-Man Maximum Carnage storyline. came out in 93. It was a 14-issue run. Uh, they were, I mean, Spider-Man was so popular that I believe there were four different Spider-Man titles at the time all going. So, I mean, it's not like this was a 14-month thing. Mm-hmm. It was like you buy one of them in amazing spider-man and then like two weeks later web of spider-man would give you another issue two more weeks the spectacular spider-man yeah Yeah, so it's like that so it it just took a year but you had to be on top of it to try to get all this stuff what a brutal business model to have to like be following all four different brands of spider-man bernsey i turn to you yeah what were your interest in comics and like did you have a golden age of comics so yeah so i I was into it kind of in the late 90s early 2000s and i was really into i was really interested in the x-men so uh, I, I'd watched like the X-Men animated comics a lot. And then I uh, started collecting like uncanny X-Men or X-Men. Uh, and sometimes I get like X-Factor or some of those. Oh, sure. But like with the X-Men, it got even more complicated than that because you would have those like Age of Apocalypse was one of the arcs that I liked. Uh, but I remember like the arc onslaught that happened. I can't remember what happened before that or after that. But you'd basically have to pick up issues from like 10 different books to keep up with the storyline because it would be an X factor. You would get part four of this and then part five would be an uncanny X-Men. Then X-Men would have the next part. And it's just like this web of all of these different things that you have to do that. Yeah. And then age of apocalypse, which was probably my favorite arc when I was actively reading. Sure. Yeah. They created their own like comic book series out of all of that. So age of apocalypse is basically that what would have happened if professor Xavier died and then Magneto turns good and takes over the X-Men as the world kind of gets wiped out by Apocalypse. And so then what's going on is they created a Melgum, I think it was a Melgum Comics, and they had all these other different variables of like superheroes at that time frame. So some of them don't even exist. Some of them are very different than what they were. So Rogue has a slightly different personality. She has um, a kid in that storyline, yeah, right? Yeah, something has, like that. And she's then, a like, single mom, Rogue single yeah, mom. Yeah, and then okay. one of the one of the big characters in that that like wasn't usually a big character was Mimic. Uh, and it is just yeah. interesting. There's just all these it was just this completely different thing and each they had I think they created 12 different books and each one had like a four uh, issue run over this time frame that was the age of apocalypse until it all got buttoned back together. And a lot of that had to deal with Legion who I think it was Legion that killed professor Xavier and then spun everything off or something. I don't know. It was crazy. Everything was just bonkers with that. And we're collecting these in either the early days or even before the internet. How did you stay on top of what was happening with these different storylines or where you had to go next to get the next part of the story? Oh my gosh. Back then, uh, you... We had one place in town where you could buy comic books. We had Steve's World, which was like the rental and comic book shop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, yeah, you had to speak to someone personally 
who is knowledgeable in this kind of stuff. So you either a person who was running a comic book shop or like a cool older brother or cousin, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise you don't know. I mean, you're a kid and you're just like, you know, you're, you're looking at yep. whatever the issues of maximum carnage or eight uh-huh. or pockets, whatever we're talking yeah, yeah. about, you know, and it's like part two of 12 and another issue is part four of 12. And you're like, what, what is going on? Where is the rest of this? Well, and yeah, you look yeah. at the last panel and it'll like tell you continued in, yeah. Uncanny X-Men, you know, 287 or whatever it was. Right. Uh, and then with like the Age of Apocalypse ones, because it was all this completely different thing, they would have like pages that would be ads at the end that would basically tell you these are the books like oh to gosh. look for next. And yeah. uh, and you basically have to piece it together after that. It was, it was just crazy stuff. I enjoy comic books. I love it as an art style. I love it as a way of delivering a narrative. But I am so thankful for graphic novel collections that just pulls yeah. all the pieces so you can get the whole story that you want all in one place. Would have blown my mind as a kid. Yeah, and it's 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 a good way to go back to it now. Either that or else one of the like services like uh, what is it? Comicsology is one of them. Otherwise, like Marvel Unlimited, I think is the Marvel one, and DC has one also. Uh, there's lots of different services now where you can look online at comics. But I don't want to read on a tablet or my computer. Like, I like having a yeah. physical book. I agree. I agree. Graphic novels are nice. They're a little expensive. And, you know, it's a money-making It's a money making thing for the publishers now. And so they'll try to separate things in as small of a collection as they possibly can. Oh, I've seen, yeah, the, the trade paperbacks. Trade paperbacks, yes. They get smaller and yep, yep, smaller. Yep. You're still paying 20 bucks, but now yep. it's like it only collects six issues yep, instead yep. of 20. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And they, they become less of a deal. Unless you go, unless you wait a long time and then they put out like the omnibus that has like 100 of them together for like $50 or something. I, I do have a giant $75 I got it for, and that was even a deal. Huge hardcover of all 12 issues of Watchmen. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, put together. I mean, really, really nice, attractive book. I lent it to Pat. He read half of it, thought it sucked, gave it back to me. <laughs> so, you know, just, uh, you know, it's it's not for everyone, but uh, that sucks you in. Some of that, just how it looks so impressive and you want all that story and, mm-hmm. man, different than when we were kids and... So different. Well, I am so excited to do this show. Spider-Man and Venom are two of my favorite characters. They have been since my teen years. I really enjoyed the first Venom movie, and I have been looking for an excuse to dive into Marvel Champions since the game came out. Before we launch into our main topics, I want to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. If you want to support the show, please visit us at patreon.com OIO. You can support the show for as little as $2 a month. You can also follow us on social, email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow me at Tom Sidlogic OIO on Twitter and Instagram. Follow at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. And follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. Jake, is there anywhere on the internet where people can connect with you? No, I'm off the grid, man. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Our first topic today is Venom. Let there be carnage. This movie released on October 1st. Was it actually October 1st? That date moved around so much. I It was, it was October so. 1st. That's it where was, it finally landed. It yeah. was originally yeah. late September, then it was middle of October, then it was October 1st, yes. right? Yeah. Yep. So trying to plan this show was a <laughs> tremendous pain for me. Yes, yeah, it, was. it was. 
It was directed by Andy Serkis. It is the second film he directed after Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle. So let's stop right here. Like, what are your thoughts? What were your thoughts when you heard that Andy Serkis, the man famous for his acting and for his motion capture and for basically portraying Gollum as a director? This movie, my precious. That was that was very good. Um yeah, that I I you know, when I heard that I thought like, wait, I didn't know he was a director, but my thought was, you know, all right, well, he knows how to work with digital characters, you know, and if we got Venom is, you know, when it's Venom itself, it's all it's all digital, right? Mm-hmm. And then Carner's all digital. I'm like, well, yeah, he understands the technical side of things, so yeah, sure. Let's see what he got. I was very cautiously optimistic about it. Well, as well, we will see what my uh, final impressions and takeaway of this film were. The film stars Tom Hardy, Woody Harrelson, and Naomi Harris. It has a Metacritic rating of 67. I'll do a quick plot summary, and then we're going to break down this film. Eddie Brock and Venom aren't getting along. Serial killer Cletus Cassidy grants Brock an exclusive interview to get his career back on track. Cassidy manages to get his hands on a little itty-bitty tiny bit of symbiote. Cassidy breaks out and goes on a quest to find his childhood sweetheart. There is a sweet symbiote fight, and then there is a resolution yeah. to the film. And, and technically, he gets his teeth on uh, a little bit of the symbiote. But yeah, oh, fair. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. Did I, first off, did I miss any of the key points there? Like, did I touch on what this film is? I, I mean, there's more to it, of course, but we don't need to necessarily get into that to have people for people to have an understanding. And given that this podcast will be out on November first, one month after this is in the theater, I don't want to. <laughs> Uh, ruin this film for people that are interested in it right that, that's true we, we we live in a day and age now where there's potentially a good number of people who would have seen this who aren't due to everything that's going on yeah. so yeah we if, don't we don't want to spoil the movie if not for this podcast i would not have seen this movie until it came out on digital release let's start by discussing our hopes and expectations for this film yes and i think alongside that i think tom why? So I know you, you, I mean, you have Venom all over the wall here, all over the wall everywhere in your house, actually. Uh, what is it about Venom that like you, that, that this just gravitates to you? Why is Venom of all the characters your favorite comic book character, or at least tied for favorite with Spider-Man? I would say that Black Suit Spider-Man, when Spider-Man actually has the symbiote, that's my favorite, favorite character. Okay. But then it's Venom and Spider-Man like in a tie. Why does Venom resonate so much with me? I I love Venom because he is he's just got a little bit of an outcast to him. Like he is so convinced that he is doing the right thing. Like he he believes that he is helping people and he believes that Spider-Man is the downfall of all like civilization basically. So J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, similar. And like I I accept that he's wrong on his viewpoint about Spider-Man, but I respect how firmly he believes it. Like I I love the passion, I love the conviction that he has. I love how he will do anything to accomplish for him the ends always justify the means. And there's just I think a little bit of that outcast nature that has always resonated with me cuz I, you know, I'm a quirky individual myself and so I just, you know, that that really strikes a note with me how he he feels like he's doing the right thing and he's True to his convictions, no matter what the cost. So would would one be able to properly surmise that your irrational feud with Pat is like your venom to his Spider-Man or Peter Parker? Yeah, actually, I, I think that's a very apt apt observation. And, uh, well, here you go, Patrick. You've already been referenced <laughs> in the show twice. Let's, let's dive into the backstory of Tom and Patrick here. 
I have a gaming feud with the rogue hippo that goes back literally decades. Literally decades. And it stems from one game of Risk where uh, we were playing with some people who weren't big board gamers. And uh, basically, Pat had the opportunity to wipe someone out. And he didn't. And then she rallied back and won the game. Like, killed me, killed everybody. And so from that point on, I realized that Pat's empathy was a liability. Wow. And... Generally speaking, when I'm playing, no offense to you guys because I play games with you guys, but generally speaking, I think that Pat is the most dangerous opponent, not just because of himself, but because of what his empathy can lead to. <laughs> and therefore, I do, I take a very Venom-like approach to Patrick. <laughs> like, he has, I guess he has a little bit of a spider sense to it because he knows it's coming. <laughs> Pat knows that no matter what game we're playing, I am gunning for him, and I am going to attack him as ruthlessly and consistently as I can until only one of us is left standing. It's all starting to make so much more sense now. Yeah. It really is. I think that's the best description of your 30-year friendship that I've ever heard. <laughs> I think that he's Spider-Man and your Venom. Uh, makes total sense when you bring it up that way. Um, so, I mean, it's it's nice that you have a long-lasting friendship with someone that you kind of hate. I'm really <laughs> impressed by that. Oh, I'm, I'm going to push back hard on that. Patrick is one of my favorite people in the whole. Well, in the whole. I, I believe that. We have a very adversarial relationship within gaming, but outside of gaming, and Jake, you come to our friend group from a gaming perspective. Like, most of the time that we hang out together is gaming, so that you see this side of me that is constantly gunning for Patrick, but yeah. uh, I would do just about anything for Pat. He is one of my best friends. He has been for also decades and uh it's just interesting the different perspectives that we have okay you have to watch venom let there be carnage for two days straight from start to finish over and over and over again or you can't see pat for two years what do you choose i would choose the movie okay and uh when we get to the end of this discussion <laughs> we talk about our final takeaways you'll know just what a sacrifice i'm making for you Patrick. <laughs> but well. we're jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit Let's start with a discussion about our hopes and expectations for the film. I'll start here because I've been dominating the show so far, but I was, <laughs> like I mentioned, cautiously optimistic. I really enjoyed the first Venom movie. I went into the original Venom movie thinking this is probably going to be garbage, but I get to see my favorite character on screen, so I'll take it for what it is. And I wound up being surprised. I thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting. I really liked the villain. And uh, I came away from the first Venom movie... I enjoyed it, and so I had relatively high expectations for this film. Jake, where did you come in to Venom, Let There Be Carnage? Yeah, yeah, okay, so the, uh, uh, I mean, I, I like Venom as a character. obviously don't love him to your extent, you know, uh, but the first Venom movie I passed on in the theater, and I see all of these movies in the theater usually, uh, sometimes to my detriment if they're not good, uh, especially especially in the aughts, many of them were not good. Uh, you saw Green Lantern in the theater. I can't believe I did that, <laughs> honestly. Uh, yeah, I, I went on my birthday, and my wife had to go sit in the lobby in the theater. She couldn't handle how bad it was. <laughs> And she's hated Ryan Reynolds ever since. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, is she a huge fan of Green Lantern? Or not even that, she just hated the movie. She just thought it was a stupid movie. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I don't blame her. I get it. Um, where are we going with that? Oh, the Venom movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, w it was not necessarily getting some good early reviews. So I'm like, this one I'm going to sit out. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see it at home. You know, so I did. So I finally saw it at home. Maybe going into it expecting that it was going to be trash made me kind of enjoy parts of it. Uh, so I don't I don't hate the Tom Hardy Venom movie. I, I was, Or maybe the fact that it wasn't a trash movie made you believe that it wasn't trash. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it was, was pretty good. 
I, I was I was surprised. I I was entertained uh, during a good chunk of it. Yeah. And Burns, what about you? Yeah. So I come to Venom not really knowing much about the character. I, I've seen him pop up in comics randomly or in games or or whatever. Um, like I've definitely seen him on your walls a lot, <laughs> but aside from that, I really didn't know much about the character. Like I knew the gist of what the symbiote is, uh, and how that works. Uh, but I really didn't know much. I never saw Spider-Man three <laughs> for Facebook live. I just held up my Venom sweatshirt. I'm wearing a Venom t-shirt and Burns is right. There is a an awful lot of Venom on my walls. Yes, there is. There is. Uh, and, and, and so it's one of those things where, I never really knew much about it. And so the most I actually saw about Venom was in the first Venom movie uh, for better or for worse. Wait, so that was your major introduction yes. to the character was the movie? Yes. Okay. And and uh, I actually, I did enjoy the movie. Uh, it was a bit long for my tastes. Uh, it seemed like it dragged at a few points, but otherwise, like I think the ending was interesting and it, I, I liked like the conclusion that kind of everything came to and, you know, not everything's a happy ending because, and I think that's very fitting for Venom from like what I know of the character and, and, and everything with that. And so, uh, I, I really enjoyed the first movie. So coming into this, I was just like, hey, I hope they do something else that's like that. And, and knowing that Andy Serkis was directing it, I figured that a lot of the acting with the like green screen stuff was yeah. going to be good because that's where he comes from. That's what he knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I, I was looking forward to it. And then we'll fire right back at you, Burns. How did this film deliver against those expectations? Yeah, I I enjoyed it fine. I, I don't think it was as good as the first movie, uh, but I don't think it was atrocious in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny throughout. Uh, you know, there's maybe a little bit here or there uh, that. It was kind of like okay, we can we can move past this now. Maybe we can we can get onto this next point. Um, I tend to have, and maybe this is getting a little bit more into specifics. I tend to have a little bit love or hate relationship with Woody Harrelson, huh. um, okay. but I think he's a good person to play a character named Cletus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so he he graded on me a little bit, but I think it fit what he was supposed to do in the movie. Um, that was maybe like the lowest point for me but that's a me thing not necessarily uh uh an actual critique of the movie so is it fair to say that you hate woody harrelson with a burning passion no i don't hate woody harrelson with a buddy a a passion i just there's certain things that he's in i just don't like him in Zombieland. yeah i like him in Zombieland. i like land too i liked him in cheers i haven't seen Zombieland too um, and I liked him in uh, True Detective. I haven't seen all of it, but I saw like the first bits of it. I thought he was a really interesting character in that. Uh, but otherwise, when he's playing like kind of like the yokel and I don't know. It, he sometimes can just be just a caricature. And it's like the same caricature when he's that caricature. And I don't know that there was a lot more depth with like the Cletus stuff that he actually brought to it. I think actually the writing and just the the nature of the Carnage character was enough to kind of carry through his pun intended wooden performance. So good pun. Good pun. Before we dive too deep into the actress performances, Jake, how well did this film deliver against your lower expectations? (laughs) Uh, I, I was, uh, I I was surprisingly entertained for parts of it. Uh, You know, like we were talking about with the first one, 
how I didn't have high expectations and somewhat enjoyed it then because of it. You would think then that I'd be like, well, I bet this one's going to be good. But I went into this one also thinking this is probably not going to be good. Uh, so again, with that expectation, I can come away from it. Um, you know, uh, are, are we are we talking about our full thoughts right now? Sure. Are we, we yeah. jumping in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fire away. All right. Well, hey, I don't think it's a good movie. I'll say that. I would agree with you. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's a good movie. Parts of it, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's not too bad. But overall, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's something I think you can you can skip in the theater. Honestly. It's hard for me to like dump on Venom, but being honest, this was just not a good film. There were elements of it that I liked. I won't say that it was a dumpster fire, that it was the worst movie, but it might be the most disappointing media about a character that I love that I can think of. I know a lot of really? people. I preferred Spider-Man Three to Venom. Let there be carnage. Okay. That movie, I acknowledge that it has flaws and it has a lot of shortcomings, but there are th- elements of it that I like, like Peter getting the suit, like Peter going crazy. Like everybody bags on Peter dancing with the suit. I thought it was perfect Peter Parker dorkiness. Okay. And like his, I just touched foots with Jake. Yeah, it was, it was on purpose. <laughs> this is quite the moment. Yeah. I just saw it, with, I saw it in both your eyes at the same time too. A lot mm-hmm. of passion right here. <laughs> Coming back to Venom, Let There Be Carnage, it just... It fell flat on so many ways for me. Let's move on to the actors' portrayals. I thought the actors were fine. Joey, you mentioned Woody Harrelson. I thought he did fine as Cletus Cassidy. I thought Tom Hardy was good. I thought uh, Naomi... Harris. Nope. Naomi Harris. Naomi Naomi Harris. Harris. I thought she was good as Shriek. All the main actors I thought did fine. I just... I don't know if it was the script or the directing, but outside of a couple of times when I laughed out loud, this film really left me wanting. Do you guys have differing takes on how the key actors performed? I mean, other than the Woody Harrelson stuff that I talked about, I don't think it was a bad performance from him. I think it was just uh, sort of the stereotypical Woody Harrelson. I I liked, I liked a lot of the performances. I thought Tom Hardy does a great job as, as Venom. I like him as Eddie Brock and Venom. Uh, and how he does that, I think, I think is is really good, and how they portray that, and how they've evolved a little bit as to how that's portrayed uh, in this movie more. This is maybe where the movie failed me in the worst way was the portrayal of Eddie Brock. Eddie Brock has had, from my experience with Venom in the comics, he's had some tough luck in his life, and he blames Spider-Man for basically ruining his life. But he's not a sad sack that's just wandering around like eating turd sandwich after turd sandwich, like this movie portrays it for that happened? half the film. I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, just taking, <laughs> taking it on the sandwich. chin sure. again and again and again. It's like, oh, woe is me, Eddie Brock. And I'm like, no, the Eddie Brock that I know, the Eddie Brock that I believe in would be out there beating some ass, like just crushing some uh, thugs in the San Francisco streets. Like, he was just... I I like Tom Hardy's portrayal, but I didn't think that Eddie Brock was written particularly well. Yeah, if, if we're talking about uh, things that we don't think were good with the movie, I, I would say the writing would be number one. I think uh, the, uh, the, the principal cast are all capable actors. I think uh, the directing... I mean, it was, it was it was loud. It was busy. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, the just uh, CG effects all over the place. But I mean, we you know we're all used to movies like that now. Yeah, so that was all fine. I, I think it was a. Uh, I think the writing was a, a little weak in spots, and that was that was probably both in the overall story and then you know in how the characters were written, and uh, where you're coming from, Tom. It, it sounds like you're getting that uh, a feeling that. Uh, Eddie Brock himself was not 
written satisfactory like not not written in the way that he is in the comics is that kind of right yeah that is absolutely right like they made jokes about venom wanting to be called the lethal protector and it's like oh there's a funny call back to the 90s but like that's the persona that i want out of eddie brock and venom like i want them to be out fighting crime to be the anti-hero to be to have their conviction that they are helping people yeah. Whether it's twisted and slightly off base or not, like I think that was what was lacking was Eddie's lack of belief in himself and his bond with the symbiote as Venom. Yeah, and I, I wonder if part of that is because they wanted to have that complication in there that they had to try to overcome as the movie went on. Uh, and I, I, I maybe they felt like they needed that and that in the first movie, because it's true, they really weren't to that level yet. Like his relationship with the relationship with the symbiote like never really got to the point where they're like, yes, we should be doing this in tandem. We should be working more like in concert together. Uh, and, and so I think they still had some work to do to do that. Now I, I do agree with like the writing sort of complaints. And it's funny because Tom, Tom Hardy was like one of the writers on the movie. Oh, he was, Yeah, he wasn't the screenwriter, but oh. he, so the screenwriter and him, it was story by Tom Hardy and, and the gal that wrote it. Hey, he's capable of maybe, maybe he should just stick to acting. <laughs> oh, he's going to kick my ass. Hey. But I, I think there, there were some weird pacing things with this movie. I, I, I think, I think the writing about the characters and like the development of the characters for the characters that did develop a little bit throughout the movie, I think were good. But there's just some weird stuff where it's like, oh, okay, this is happening now. Uh, oh, now we're here and this is happening. Uh, you know, the bad guys are off doing these random things. And now, oh, oh well, here we go. Uh, and so I, I think there was some stuff there where like the connectiveness of uh, beat to beat to beat was maybe a little disjointed and maybe there needed to be some more smoothening between some of that or, or at least a little bit better job of making it make more sense as to why things were going in the directions they were going. It would be interesting to see maybe some of the stuff that got cut from this film, because this was a very short movie. It was yeah. roughly 90 minutes of runtime. Yeah. And it, I mean, for as much as I disliked it, I was thankful that it was a <laughs> short experience that I was able to get back to my life in a short term. But perhaps in cutting some of what he determined fat, Andy Circus cut maybe some connective tissue that would have made things just flow a little bit better. It could be, or, or, it, or it could just be that it's hard to know like what's cut from a movie or what's not cut from a movie. It, it could very well be that like some of that just wasn't there. It, it may have not had much of a plot in the first place. I mean, that's right. That's, that's potential. It may have just been a, a real bare bones script, yeah. you know? And, and I mean, it's not like we need to compare superhero movies to Shakespeare or anything, right? Like, you know, but we, we are, you know, we are at a point now where there's been some pretty good yeah. superhero movies at this point, and this was not at that same and, level. And I think what it kind of feels like to me in hindsight is they figured the Venom movie was maybe going to be successful, but maybe not. They made the first Venom movie rated R, right? Uh, well, it's no, and it's PG-13. It's, it's maybe a little stronger PG-13. I think the but... first one was rated R because I'm no. pretty sure I, I thought that it like made waves that it was like the biggest opening of a superhero rated R movie. And then Deadpool like stomped it or something well, like that. No, no, no. I mean, it came out in 2018. So Deadpool. It's not rated R? No. PG-13. Okay. According to the internet. So I'm mixing that up with Deadpool. You are thinking of Deadpool. I'm thinking of Deadpool. That's yeah. my bad then. Yeah. Um, Tom, you're going to cut this out, right? Nope. We're going <laughs> to leave it in for all time. Yeah. But uh, 
what, what it feels like to me, though, is they weren't sure if this movie was going to be a success or not. Let's throw this end of the movie tease that, oh, Carnage is going to be the villain in the next movie if we get to do another movie. And let's get someone crazy to be Carnage. It's going to be Woody Harrelson. And so it's like this big name person. They're going to return if we get to make another one of these movies. And then it's like, oh, hey, we have to make this. How do we do this? <laughs> you know, we, we can't we can't pull anything from the MCU. Yeah, that right. takes out so many options that we have to try to make this come together. So how do we create this with the little bit that we have control over? How do we create this Venom movie in a universe that doesn't have Spider-Man? Right. And I think, th- I think that's part of it. I think part of that might be it's really hard to keep Venom interesting without the other half. Yeah, frankly, he's not interesting without Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite things about the character of Venom that I forgot to mention when we were talking about it, he does not set off Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. So Spider-Man's Spider-Sense basically gives him an edge against everybody. It takes him from, like, a street-level superhero to a cosmic level. Is that accurate, Jake? Uh, I don't know if I would go cosmic level. Definitely but... cosmic level. No. And Venom okay. just has, like, a backdoor through it. Like, he doesn't set it off at all, and I love that there's always that hidden danger lurking around New York City or wherever Venom is for Spider-Man that he could be ambushed at any time and for once he has no idea that it's coming so to create a Venom movie without Spider-Man like that rankled me with the first movie and like not having that connection is very strange I guess they made this movie to have a big symbiote fight right like that's the whole point of this movie is just Venom versus Carnage so I guess maybe the fact that it's really short is okay. Maybe the fact that it doesn't make a lot of sense is fine. Right. I think we knew buying our movie tickets that we were buying it to see the symbiote fight. So how did that go? Are we pleased with the symbiote fight? Did it did it hit on that note? I thought it was cool. I thought the effects were really, really good. Like, I, I was really annoyed. It's like, what the hell is going on with this wedding and why do they need this specific three <laughs> people here? I thought yeah. that was just yeah. dumb and silly. But the actual, like, fight, I thought... I thought that was executed well. Was it worth sitting through the other 85 minutes of the film? So, so like, I, I do think there was, I think there were some other really good things with the other parts of the film. Um, did some of the stuff maybe get drawn out uh, with, like, the, the battles between, or not the battles, but, like, the conflict between Eddie and the symbiote? Possibly or Venom. I guess we could call it Venom because it's it's Venom. It's not. You, you think some of that? Yeah. You think some of those interactions between Eddie and Venom were getting to a point where it's kind of redundant? Or a was little it, bit. Okay, but it didn't bother me as much. So, like, I was thinking of it from this standpoint too, and like the 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 fighting between those two in this movie did not bother me nearly as much as like the constant in Avengers two and Avengers three between. Captain America and Iron Man because that always just seemed like forced to me and didn't seem like and it just and they just kept going back to that well and like oh oh, again and again and again and I don't think it ever got to the point of feeling like it was that bad um to me as 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 it felt watching those movies those other movies uh and I think the other thing was like you were talking about the sad sack Eddie and how much that was kind of annoying um the thing about that is that didn't, and I, I don't have an affinity for the character. So I think that's where part of it with my perspective comes from, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't bothered by that as much as I was bothered by 
like down on his luck Bruce Wayne through the entirety of the Dark Knight Rises, which is why <laughs> yeah. as much as I love the first two movies of that trilogy, that third movie sucked donkey dick because it was just uh, Bruce is just moping around the entire movie. And then Venom comes and breaks his back. Uh, he should. Bane, you mean, but yeah. yes. Uh, oh no, I, I chose my words very carefully. <laughs> and so, and then that's the thing. It's like Bane was the only reason to watch that movie. Um, and I don't think, I don't think it ever got to the point where I wasn't interested in like Eddie trying to get through like his kind of demons, frustrations or whatever. And it's like, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that the movie does is it shows, Hey, he like lucks into this success in the movie at the beginning. Right. And Hey, he's still a broken person and that doesn't fix it. And I think that's an interesting thing to develop. And, you know, part of it is him realizing he has no flipping friends. The only friend he has is this alien from out of space. And maybe he has to come to terms to that. And sometimes it takes people a long time to realize that, right? You know, what they have is probably all they're going to have. And they should enjoy that as opposed to dreaming for these other things. Sure. Like you guys mentioned the redundancy of like all that Eddie is going through. And there is a moment that I thought had real emotional punch here when he finds out that his ex-wife or ex-fiance is engaged again mm-hmm. and that she's moving on with her life. And that, that to me held an actual real emotional punch. And like everything else was just, I don't know. We had seen his career struggles before. We had seen him lose everything before, but like, and getting engaged that had a real emotional punch. And that was towards the end of the sad sack Eddie stuff. So it's like, I guess if you're going to have an emotional punch, just hit it with us at the beginning. Then, like, yeah. everything is crappy after that. All right. I I can get that. But it was like, everything was crappy. Then he gets the interview, and he's back on top. And then everything's crappy. And then, I don't know. And then it's just, yeah, everything kind of falls apart. You know, but part of that's building up complications for the hero so that the hero can be the hero in the end. And it, sh- it makes it seem like he surmounted things or, or gives him the obstacles to surmount so that you can see that there's some sort of development along the hero's journey, right? Uh, and so I think that's what they were trying to do. Did they do an effective job at it? I'm making it an interesting movie all the way throughout. Probably not. I still enjoyed it. Um, I know. I remember when we got done watching the movie, um, you had said that you weren't, uh, you didn't find a lot of it funny. I, I don't know. I thought there was quite a bit of humor that I enjoyed. There were a couple of jokes that did make <clears throat> me laugh out loud. There were a couple of things I got real belly laughs, but mostly, I don't know, maybe it was the mood I was in when I saw this film, but I... <laughs> I did not come away very impressed with the humor. I thought the first movie was, had a lot of heart and a lot of humor. So maybe I was just expecting it to like it more. I felt like it kind of tried to take the Deadpool vibe and kind of ape that. And it didn't feel like it didn't have the same magic that Deadpool had. It didn't have the same magic that, say, Guardians of the Galaxy had, which was very quirky, funny couple of films. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a little bit because I know everybody wants every superhero movie that has comedy in it to be Thor Ragnarok now. I don't like Thor Ragnarok. I agree. I'm not, I'm not the huge, I think it's fine. I think it's funny, but I don't want every thing that has a little bit of humor in it to be that. I don't necessarily think that Venom was trying to be like Deadpool a lot. I thought that I tried to like meld the humor and the violence, the over the top violence. Okay. I can see, I can see that to an extent then um, from that lens. I can understand that point. Yeah, it, it may be what affected you. You're, you're talking about your mood, you know, when we saw it. I mean, you did limp up to the theater late, you know, with stitches in your ball sack. <laughs> that, 
<laughs> we do have to take that into account. It may have affected your mood. Yeah, the, the whole vasectomy thing. We we were talking after the movie, and like I'm like, what would we rate this one to ten? I think I gave it a four at the time. That might have been a little extra critical, but <laughs> I don't believe that this is a particularly good film. Before we move off of Venom, was there anything else that this film did particularly well? I like the symbiote fight. I thought that was done particularly well. Did any other aspect of this film stand out to you guys? Uh, I mean, this sounds inconsequential, but I admired uh, Woody Harrelson's bad hair throughout it. <laughs> And what I and, and when I say bad hair, I don't mean that he had a bad wig. Maybe he had a wig on. I don't know. Maybe that was his real hair. But I liked that his character did a bad job at combing his hair <laughs> to the point where when he's wearing what you know what what a low class serial killer would think would be a nice suit, uh-huh. and then he like you can tell that he like combs his hair, and you can tell that this isn't a guy who really combs his hair all that often. What does he do? He just combs it like straight down. So it's uh-huh. like, you know, he combs his hair the way that, like, a five-year-old combs their hair before picture day. And I think that was a nice detail that I really liked. Yeah. That's a great detail that you brought up. Bernsey, any highlights of this film? So I really liked the... Because I, like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of background on the Venom stuff. I really liked the whole, like, all the Venom when, like, Venom was Venom and doing the stuff with the tire and... I just found a lot of that interesting and kind of the development of Venom, like trying to understand what Earth was and like looking for acceptance to some extent. Right. Um, Like that probably was very cheesy to someone who's a Venom fan. I hated with a burning yeah. passion when like you went to the rave like that. That was a low point of the film for me. Well, hold on. Okay, hold on, hold on. No, this is legit. So in this movie, you hated where Venom goes to a rave, but in Spider-Man 3, when Peter Parker goes to a club, you love that. I do. Like, I thought that, uh, uh, God, what was his name? Tobey Maguire. I thought he did such a wonderful job of capturing Peter Parker's, like, the the dorky side of Peter Parker. Okay. And, like, specifically when, like, he's doing the hump dance in front of the club, like, it just... I think, Joey, you brought up this point before that that's what a very nerdy person would view as cool. And, like, he was just living it. Right. Yeah. So, but, However, but in this movie, and again, we don't want to spoil too much of this movie. Right. So, <laughs> fans out there in internet land, there is a scene in this movie we're talking about where Venom goes to a rave and he grabs the mic and he says some words. And... I can't. I, I can't remember what he said. But it was a beautiful message about like acceptance yeah. and like I I love the message. Yeah. It just that's not a message yeah. that I need from my <laughs> violent anti-hero. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the parts that I like. Like I like the like having the tire and and, and, the, and chickens. the chickens and all that stuff. Like I think that stuff is really funny. And the whole like you can't eat human brains. You got to live off of this. And the chickens don't have brains. You know. And, <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> and so it's. Yeah. I think. Like I like that back and forth, and and a lot of those things. I also do like like right away in the beginning. There's some bits where, uh, you know, Eddie is having conversations with it, and then trying to pass off like what he's saying is like yeah. whatever he's doing. I, I find that enjoyable too. Jake, did that bother you at all? Because for me, like a lot of those conversations would happen internally because like he and the symbiote can like talk without like actually saying words. Like they just share a brain basically. Like they can communicate telepathic, telepathic, 
telepathically. telepathically. Wow, that was a challenging word for me to spit out right there. Yeah. That wrinkled me. It, it led to a couple of funny situations, and like they went to that well a couple of times. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Jake, did it bother you at all? Because it bothered me a little bit that he didn't didn't have an internal monologue or di- internal dialogue. Um, I see what they're going for. I I think I think I think this is not the right tone of movie for a character to have internal narration. I think that would work if, you know, pretend this movie and the previous one didn't exist. And if it was a darker, grittier thing where Eddie Brock, you know, with way less humor, then I think a internal monologue would work. Uh, But I think that would that would be out of place. I also think what they were trying to do was using him talking to him out loud instead of in his head. They were trying to use that as showing just sort of like in general, the mental instability that this Eddie Brock has uh, because he's like, even before he has the symbiote in the first movie, he's really fidgety and everything like that. And he has like the ticks and things. Mm, and so this yeah. is just taking that to another level of playing into that aspect of this version of Eddie Brock. Uh, and so I think, I think that's what they were trying to go for. Um, it's, it, it, I don't know to what extent that, is going to benefit them down the line too. And maybe, you know, if they're more as one now, some of that starts to happen more often too. Uh, it's hard to tell. Well, I think internal dialogues are, yeah, internal dialogues are hard to pull off. Internal monologues are hard to pull yes. off. Jake, while we have you here on the mic, let me completely pivot here. One of the things that drives me a little crazy about Tom Holland as Spider-Man is they <laughs> give him a very technologically savvy suit. So like he's having a conversation with the AI in the suit and that's always bothered me like i get why they have to do it from a storytelling perspective but it's just jarring for me like usually in the panel spider-man soaring around and he's often talking to himself yeah in a movie like he has to talk to somebody so they had him talk to the suit what did you think about that that's a good point you know yeah that i think that is a that is a prime example of uh something you can do on screen versus something you can do on the page you know whether it's a book or whether it's a comic you know you can have all that internal monologue and that is really tough to pull off mm-hmm. on a, a TV or movie. Some movies do it, you know, it, but it's, it's gotta be done really well. It's, it's gotta have a specific tone for people to buy the internal monologue. It wouldn't really work. So I, I see what they're doing with him talking to a computer. I mean, I think it's kind of dumb that he's talking to a computer all the time. I do. It gives him kind of an Iron Man feel, doesn't it? Like, I could see Tony Stark having those conversations, but it it always just felt off to me to have Peter Parker talking to his suit. Oh yeah, I I think I now I think you're talking way beyond story. You're t- you're talking uh, you know business model MCU stuff where it's like now that Robert Downey Jr. is gone, Tom Holland's basically the face of the MCU, right? So yeah, he's. He's the new Iron Man. He, you know, he's Spider Man. He's not supposed to be Iron Man, but I, I, you know, I think you're right. He's like that's, maybe that's what they're doing. Supposedly, the next Spider Man movie, from what people are saying, is it? What for Tom Holland as Spider Man? No way. I, I had heard. I don't think so. I, I heard he had more movies, but I've heard like other reports that like something that's going to happen in the movie is going to change that. That that well, that's interesting because I had I had heard when. Uh, he had signed on to be in Civil War, right? Which 2016, that was his first uh, MCU appearance. What I had read, and maybe things have changed, is that when Marvel signed him up for this, they're like, great, you're 20 years old, 
get ready to be Spider-Man <laughs> for the next 10 years, at least. Is what I thought they were just like, oh yeah, you're gonna, we're going to invest in you, kid. You're going to be in a lot of movies. So I, I, from what I understand, he's, he's going to be a centerpiece of the MCU for at least another five years. But maybe things have changed. I, I think he's just seeing that he knows the Uncharted movie is going to be such an unmitigated success that he's going to be too big for the MCU moving what? forward. What? <laughs> that's going to be trash. I know, that I know. He's going to be such garbage. <laughs> wow. Video game movies, you know, people are always excited. They have a charisma of 18, Burns. 18. Yeah, you were way way off on that. No, I, I nailed it. But coming back to Venom, Let There Be Carnage, do we have any other closing thoughts or takeaways? I will start this one again. I did not particularly enjoy this movie. I will almost certainly watch it again just to see the symbiote fight, but I just... I, this movie is on the lower edge of all Marvel properties for me. There are so many things that I'd rather watch ahead of this. And it's just, it's a well, bummer for me because it's my favorite character. Right. And, and, and of course, you know this. I mean, it's not a true MCU movie anyway. You know, it's, it's one of these Sony offshoot movies. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad because I thought Into the Spider-Verse was top right. notch. That movie That's, was killer. Absolutely. Yeah. So it does, you know, just because it's these Sony offshoots, it doesn't mean it's automatic garbage. But... At the same time, you know that, you know, it doesn't have that MCU quality control, right? To mm-hmm. keep it at least a base level of quality. Okay, let's, uh, do you think that Disney would have greenlit this film or do you think they would have killed it before it got to the theaters? I, go ahead. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to know because I don't know, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with, say, Deadpool. We don't know, right. you know, so I, I have no idea on that. I mean... I think they would have killed this film. I think maybe they would have redone a gun completely back to the drawing board, and maybe it still came out, but it would not have released in this state. I would agree with that. I, w- I would agree if this was a Disney official MCU movie, it would not exist the way it does, neither would the previous one. I mean, it, w- it would be very, very different. But Though, uh, if it was a Disney MCU movie, it probably would have had triple, quadruple the budget. Uh, I think that's another thing too is they probably did not have anywhere near the amount of money that they pumped into any of the Spider-Man movies Uh, and so the movie was probably made a lot cheaper a lot of that money is going into the CG that's why you have such a small cast because you can't really put too many other people into this thing and so I think some of those constraints maybe held them back on that a little bit too I don't know if money was the constraint here because the effects look good. Things look good. They had so, some Sony big actors. Have, Sony's got a lot of money. Deadly pockets. I think it was a yeah. writing issue. And it's like, a writing issue. But part of that also is the amount of people you're putting in to write on the project. When you have one writer plus then Tom Hardy, I mean, <laughs> like, if, if this was a Disney movie... Like, they don't have one writer and Robert Downey Jr. writing any of the Iron Man movies. They have the person who's in control of all of it, handpicking, like, five people, working probably in a writer's room to put this all together. And so I, I think that's the other thing is is Disney would not have put out this movie. I think that's 100% the right take. I don't necessarily think that that means that this movie isn't worth watching, I think it's still an enjoyable movie. Like like when we talked after the after we saw it, I I gave it a seven. I enjoyed it. It was fun. But then again, like I said, I'm not coming at it from this being my favorite movie or my favorite character. Um, and so I think that that changes it a little bit. Uh, but it was 
nowhere near the abomination of my least favorite comic book movie, which is X-Men 3. Um, That's a bad one. That's a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. Because that took the characters that I loved, ripped the comic book pages straight from my hands, bent me over, tore my pants down, and wiped my own arse with those comic books. Because it took everything about those characters and ripped them to shreds. And, like, everything they built up in X-Men 1 and X-Men 2, they completely just crapped on in that movie. And it's like, we're going to kill off characters because we can kill off characters. And we're going to get Jean Grey to do stuff that Jean Grey wouldn't do the way we've built her up. And it was such a bad movie. So the reason why I brought this up is because Jim brought it up uh, the other day because we went to see that. And he remembers still to this day how much I was ranting after seeing that movie about how much I hated that movie. Uh, and so I don't think this is anywhere near as bad as, as like that movie was. But then again, maybe for you, because you like Venom, comes from it from that stance a little bit more. I was very disappointed in this movie, but I am nowhere near okay. that neighborhood. Like, I could watch this again if it was on TV. Like, I probably wouldn't watch it over playing video games, but I could. Like, I wouldn't smash my TV into a thousand pieces if it came on. I mean, I wouldn't smash my TV into a thousand pieces if X-Men 3 came on, but I would sprint out of the room as fast as possible and make sure I was away for two or three hours so that the, that the suckiness could clear out of the room. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel. Oh uh, yeah. I, I hate that movie with, a, with a fiery passion. Sorry. What if the whole rest of your apartment was on fire and only your bedroom was immune to the fire. And the only way to stay in your room was to watch X-Men three until the rest of the fire burned down over 24 hours. I jump out the window earth is on fire too it is just your room is the last everything sanctuary. is lava everything is lava i shove the tv with x-men 3 into the lava all right that checks out yeah, yeah. jake your closing thoughts on <laughs> venom let there be carnage well my, my closing thoughts are uh <clears throat> actually kind of go along with with I, I think how interesting it is with the three of us you know and i and i think your take as a venom fan my key takeaway uh is is uh how our, our different opinions of it actually is it, just you as you know someone who loved venom as a kid and your disappointment in it and then we have joey you know who really didn't care or i mean it's not like you actively hated venom you right. just you're just not a fan and then you're like yeah this is seven you yeah. know um and then i'm kind of in the middle you know yeah i I'm sure i like venom you know he's not one of my favorites i don't dislike him though i expected this movie to be trash you know it <laughs> Mostly was, especially in the writing department, you know, but I, I was entertained, you know, for an hour and a half or whatever. I, I will never see it again. I've, I mean, but it's not like I hate it. I'm just like, <laughs> done with that. That was disposable, you know, in the gullet, down through the uh, the intestines, large and small, out the anus. I'm good. I don't need to see that movie again. You pushed Venom out your anus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he would actually appreciate that, I would think. Yeah. They? Yeah. Is Venom a they? I don't know, but you know, I go back to the metaphor now that you are Venom and Pat is Spider-Man. Moving on from hey, Venom, let there be there. carnage. We are going to do a charisma check. Tom Awesome's charisma check. Let's get it on. 
for this segment today, we are going to chuck a D20 for a classic video game. Well, a couple classic video games. Separation Anxiety, Maximum Carnage, and what was that other terrible thing we put into the Sega Genesis right before we recorded? That was Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge. Yeah, and that one. So, Jake, the way this segment works is... uh, charisma check we're going to assign a value of zero to 20 on the charisma that this thing has in this case the thing being the spider-man sega genesis well for me sega genesis for most of the population super nintendo games burns you want to start or do you want me to start here uh, i can start so i thought i had played maximum carnage but i was wrong in that i had previously played arcades revenge and so when I started playing Maximum Carnage and Separation Anxiety, I was like, this is completely different than I remember. Uh, I thought there was like a carnival tent. And you're like, oh, no, that's Arcade's Revenge. And I was like, oh, OK, OK. Yeah. Hey, maybe maybe a little context on these games, too. Right. Uh, so, yeah, for the, they came out for the Sega Genesis. I believe they all came out for the Super NES as well. Yep. And Maximum Carnage is a side scrolling beat em up style mm-hmm. game. It is directly based off of the Maximum Carnage comic storyline that came out in 93 that we talked a bit about, right? Separation Anxiety was the follow-up title. That one came out in November 1995. These games were created by Software Creations. These guys pumped out 49 games in 13 years. 49 games in 13 years. Both Maximum Carnage and Separation Anxiety are co-op... Well... They're both beat-em-ups. Maximum Carnage is a single-player experience. Separation Anxiety adds a second player to make it co-op, where you get to play as either Spider-Man or Venom, and Separation Anxiety loosely follows the events of Venom Lethal Protector. Got it, yeah. And, and then and then just to let people know that uh, Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge, that is a side-scrolling platformer. So that's not a beat-em-up. That's more about, you know... Your Mario's, your Mega Man's, your yeah, it's a lot Ninja more like guys. Mega Man. Yeah, you're yeah, shooting things and you run and you jump, you collect know. the things. You collect the things. You get through the stage. If, you know, try not to drown as Storm and get eaten by a squid. Yeah, we'll get to that. But uh, <laughs> oh, we're there. That game's awful. <laughs> Burnsy, assign a numerical value zero to twenty on the charisma of these games as they stand today. Yeah, I thought I, I thought I had. Some pretty fond memories of Arcade's Revenge once I realized that that was the game that I had played. Uh, This is like a three. Uh, This is a flub. This is one of those things where if you rolled this die and you're trying to convince someone to do something for you, like persuade them in in an RPG, uh, you're that close to them, like actually just socking you back. And this is interesting because you're a person who appreciates old games and appreciates the video game history. I came in higher than you on this one. I gave it an eight because I believe that old games are rubbish and that there is no reason to spend any time playing these games when you could be playing like Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4 or 5. But there is a charm to these games. The artwork is really good, and it's uh, there's a little bit of history there that still has some nostalgia for me. So I came in at an 8 out of 20. Jake, are we crazy? Do you still have a love and affinity for these games? What numerical value, 0 to 20, would you assign as charisma for these Spider-Man and or Venom classic uh, console games? Well, I want to ask. So the, the value, do I, assign, do I assign it to them having played them or we not having played them yet is it is it like how do i feel the excitement of like yeah let's try these again or is it the excitement you know 45 minutes later after we spent you know whatever 10 <laughs> minutes with them on. What, what do we do what do we assign them the first one first one 
All right, well, listen, a little bit about me and, and people who know me who may be listening know this too. I love retro games. I am, uh, you know, when I say off the grid, you know, I'm not really off the grid, but there are things about me that are. Uh, my newest video game that I own is the first Call of Duty uh, Black Ops that came out in 2010 for the Xbox 360. So I'm a little off the grid. So I am... <laughs> In the realm of video games, I am exclusively retro at this point. I have a four-player stand-up upright arcade cabinet in my house, which is dedicated just to uh, old arcade games from the late 70s through the mid-90s. I have an extensive collection of console games. So yeah, I am going to be down for this sort of thing. Now, having said that, (laughs) these are not good games. (laughs) Okay. Listen, I, I am the kind of person who will fire up a Sega Genesis and play, say, Streets of Rage or Golden Axe. I will play that. That stuff is gold for me. These two games, yeah, I was impressed. I'm like, you know, the art style is not yeah. bad. Wow, these are not good games, though. <laughs> wow. They're, the second stage in uh, Maximum Carnage has you climbing up a skyscraper while Shriek is firing lightning bolts at you, and you have to time <laughs> your swings across a chasm. Otherwise, you get knocked back down at the beginning. And it was one of the most frustrating things I've done in gaming in, like, ever. Well, you, you don't play a lot of retro games, so it just brings it back where it's like, yeah, this is what retro games uh. did. It's like, hey, okay, so first level, you're, you're, you're beaten up. Now we're going to throw this at you. Second level, it's all about trying to swing to the top of this building while you're getting randomly shot. And it just so happens that since these games aren't good, the controls aren't tight. Uh-huh. So it's just a, you know, smash your controller experience, which <laughs> from people who know retro games, that, that's that's part of the experience. Uh-huh, that's true. You run into that shit all the time. <laughs> stuff. You run into that stuff all the time. Um, yeah. So they, they're not good. However... The art style, again, was impressive. I was impressed that a Sega Genesis was able to replicate panels from the actual Maximum Carnage storyline for the cutscenes in between so accurately. I, 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 was, I was blown away. I, I, you know, I forgot about that as a kid, and then just seeing that again, I'm like, wow, that's like panel for panel on a 16-bit machine. That was impressive. Gameplay, not good. And then ask for Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge. Oh my god, what a horrible experience. <laughs> in, in the realm of side-scrolling platformers where you have, yes. who knows, Super Mario 3 at the top, yeah. Ninja Gaiden 2, a Castlevania yeah. that you don't hate near the top, <laughs> right? Um, when we're talking side-scrolling platformers and how many good ones and how many hundreds yeah. of them there are, man, this game is near the bottom. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Well, put a number on it, my friend. Okay, what, well... Let's start with what did you think the number was going to be, and then what did it actually end up being after spending a half an hour with these games? And this is out of 20? Out of 20, right? yep. I was a 16 going into it. I'm like, yes, let me revisit some retro <laughs> games, and, and I'm all about retro games, but retro games that I haven't played in, in a you while. Know, 20 years. Oh, longer, longer. 30. 30 yeah. now at this point, nearly 30. Yeah, so I was a 16 going into this, because I had a little apprehension. I'm like, oh, they're maybe not good, though. <laughs> Uh, and then playing them again, holy good gravy. Yeah, they're, they're probably a three. <laughs> they, they are not good retro games. Uh, and I'll soften my stance on retro games in one regard. Like, there is a charm to playing games with your friends, no matter whether yeah. they're new, whether they're old. Like, the thought of a four-player cabinet, that sounds awesome. I think there yeah. is a ton of fun with that. So, like, 
if I'm going to sit down and I'm going to play a video game by myself as like a solitary experience, I want to play something new and fun and awesome and polished and great. But as far as like doing fun things with your friends, I'll soften my stance there because there's a lot of ways to have fun with your friends. And sometimes reliving those nostalgic experiences could be one. One of these days, I got to have you over to my house and I feel like we got to do like Turtles in Time on the cabinet. We got to do the Spider-Man arcade game. Yes. Which you've, you've never even heard of it you probably never played it you know and like it's decent you know so there's some good old retro games where we should you know get four guys it's gonna be sweaty it's gonna be hot <laughs> you know around that cabinet yeah. but there's there's some good times to be had yeah i get to stand next to pat well i remember being four years old uh and this is very specific memory that i have and uh you know at the, at the time uh, I had not played any Spider-Man video games. They, there might have been one for the Atari 2600, but I, I loved Spider-Man as a kid. I still like him. But uh, I wanted to be Spider-Man, and, and I had played... Boy, there was some game that was in the back of a magazine. I don't know if it was Ranger Rick or Highlights, one of those <laughs> magazines. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like a little, little really cheap game. You just cut out the pieces or something. Uh, maybe someone on the internet can help with this, but it was a Spider-Man game. It's just really dumb. Kind of roll and move kind of stuff. You have the cheap little spinner, you know, and you go two spaces and it might say like encounter bad guy, go back two spaces. And you're like, you know, you're like, well, Spider-Man would just fight the bad guy. Why, why am I going back two spaces? Anyway, so I played that. I was hyped up on Spider-Man. And then that evening, my dad's like, hey, son, do you want to you want to catch some fireflies? You know, and I thought that's something Spider-Man would do. Now, obviously it's not, but I thought, okay, this would be great. If Spider-Man lived where there were fireflies, he would totally catch fireflies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was out there with Dad. It was it was dark, and we had our big dog, a big German Shepherd at the time, and I lived way out in a rural area, super rural growing up, and uh, we were looking for fireflies, and I thought I was Spider-Man. I was hopping around. You know, I wasn't swinging from trees or anything. I was just jumping. That was, that was as Spider-Man as I could get, and I saw one. Saw a little flash of a firefly, okay, out in the dark distance, okay? And at this point, I'll just point out that I'm standing essentially on top of a cliff that was out on the properties. It's very safe for me at four years old. <laughs> and I have my jar, and my dad, you know, I look down. He's on the bottom of the cliff. He's like, oh, you just, you know, you just scoop him up in the jar like this. Gosh, and I thought I was Spider-Man, like the game, right? And I had landed on a space that had, you know, said move ahead three spaces, I went for that that fire bug, right? I went for it. Down I went, off a cliff, broke my arm. True story, broke my arm trying to get this uh, this firefly. And some people think, how can you break your arm when you're four years old? You're, you're still rubber at that point. Oh, no, I broke my arm. <laughs> I landed on my arm. I was brought into hospital. Well, first, my dad had, what did he do? He broke some chunks of wood. How did he have tape in his pocket? This is just what dads do, I guess. Tapes a like a makeshift splint around my arm. Drove me to the hospital. Got the cast on me. And then when I saw my brother, my cool older brother, who was 11 years older than me and was not living at home, you know what I had him draw on my cast? Mother than Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. Well, there you have it. If you break your arm, you should go to the hospital and get a cast. For other injuries, you can check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, and Spider-Man injuries that don't involve broken bones. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. 
Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. We're going to keep the Spider-Man and Venom talk going. We are moving into our final topic today, Marvel Champions, the living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. This was released in, oh gosh, I didn't write it down in my notes. Jake, I don't suppose you know it off the top of your head. 2019? 2019. 2019. Nice work, Burns. This game was designed by Michael Boggs, Nate French, and Caleb Grace. Burns, I'll start with you. Are you familiar with any of their other work? It's primarily living card game stuff. I believe that both Nate and Caleb work on the Arkham Horror living card game. I I haven't played that one. Uh, The only one that I've actually played is the Legend of the Five Rings, and I played the intro game for that. That's the only LCG I've actually ever played. Uh, So I'm not familiar with them. I know that, I mean, the people at uh, Fantasy Flight Games that make the LCGs are well-regarded. And Definitely. Jake, I'll turn to you. You've worked for Fantasy Flight Games and for Asmodee. What is your level of familiarity with these designers? Are you like homies with them? No, no, no. And, and I haven't been there for a couple of years now. But uh, no, no, I, w- I was I was not on the uh, design team. So I was uh, I was uh, I, I was on the team that was certainly less cool. Uh, but I know these games very well, even though I've not played most of them just from, you know, uh, selling these games to uh to uh, independent hobby stores across the country, you know. So I'm, uh, I'm very familiar with them, and uh, you know, certainly the uh, the Fantasy Flight LCG model is is an institution at this point, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> you know, maybe that's just me as a former employee, you know, just buttering it up, you know. But no, if if you if you're into gaming, if you're a serious gamer, you know about Fantasy Flight LCGs, and and this Marvel Champions one, this was, I feel like this was. Something that it just it all came together. Something that uh, you know the the uh, the LCG model was there and ready for this. Particularly the the co op mode, first introduced in the Lord of the Rings LCG, and then uh, really perfected in the the still ongoing Arkham Horror Living Card Game. Uh, and then you know with a lot of the the uh, um, the the accumulations that Asmodee is able to do, you know, able to do Marvel characters in this model. So it's total no brainer. It was a huge seller, still is. I mean, there's just, there was no denying that this was like everything coming together Mm -hmm. uh, from a gaming perspective. And let's set this game up. In Marvel Champions, you and your friends will take the role of iconic Marvel characters. The base game comes with Spider-Man, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, uh, She-Hulk, She-Hulk, and Iron Man. Thank you, guys. So you take the role of one of these iconic heroes. You have your own deck of cards. There is going to be a villain in play. We played against the Rhino until we beat him, which took the better part of two days. <laughs> and each villain will also be trying to accomplish a certain scheme. And each turn, they're going to be adding some tokens to that scheme. And if it gets to a certain certain threshold, you lose. So, for instance, the scenario we played until we beat it, and the only scenario we ended up playing was the Rhino, and he was trying to rob a bank. Correct. Uh, he was breaking in to get something. I don't know if he was stealing it's, science st- secrets or yeah. just rob a you know rob a bank. I don't know. He it's was left very vague. Yeah, he's breaking in somewhere. Sure. So the rhino's trying to break into somewhere. You draw a hand of cards. You, on your turn, you're alternating between either the superhero, either as Spider-Man, or you can flip over to be his alter ego, Peter Parker, to heal yourself. 
Each turn, you'll be playing a series of cards from your hand, because if you played hands from your card, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> Each card has a certain resource cost in the top left corner, and the way you pay that is by... Uh, basically discarding cards because each card also has a resource generator down in the bottom left corner. So you're playing different cards which can be items, they can be allies, they can be locations, and each has different game effects to try to help you overcome the obstacles. Each player will take their turn in order so all the heroes get to act and then the villain will come and do their villain things. They'll attack the heroes, they'll work on their main scheme, they'll summon minions to help them battle the heroes. I think that is the core gameplay loop. You either either the villain will wipe out all the heroes or accomplish their mission, or you knock the villain down to zero health before they accomplish their big bad thing. Did I miss any of the key points? One of the other things that can happen is you run into each character has an obligation that you can run into, and what that's going to bring in is it's going to bring in your arch nemesis. Uh, the one person that you're always fighting against will come into the fray sometimes too, and you have to then fight them and. So for, uh, let's see, for Venom, it, it was the symbiote. Uh, well, I can't even remember what the name of the thing was. It was Enraged Symbiotes. We can use Spider-Man as the example here. For Spider-Man, his arch nemesis is the Vulture. So oh, yeah, as you're right. playing through the game, the villain will occasionally trigger an ability that makes you put your arch nemesis into play. And then they have a side scheme, which is an additional bad thing, which has negative game effects for the players that can be put into play, as well as specific minions tied to the Vulture, specific actions that yep. the Vulture can do. Before we dive into our impressions of this game, let's talk about living card games as a general gaming model. How familiar are we with the living card game model? For me, I have played the Lord of the Rings game. That is basically the only living card game that I've really invested in. Joey, I think you played Legends of the Five Rings. Yeah, just once. We just played the intro game for that, um, and it's a two-player game. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll play it more. I bought it because it was dirt cheap on like the holiday sale or something. And I, I'm really interested in like ancient Japan. And, and so that it had an aesthetic th that I liked. And so that's why I jumped into it. I've always been interested in playing an LCG. It's been one of those things where if I'm getting together with people, though, tend to gravitate towards playing like a, a, a bigger board game or playing uh, like some of my other friends that I get together with. If we play like a card game, we'll usually play magic, like do a magic draft. Uh, so I haven't done a lot or devoted a lot of time to LCGs. Right. And we should clarify, too, with the L LCGs that there are co-op ones and competitive ones. You know, this one happens to be a co-op one. People are playing on the same side against the game. But uh, but uh, like you exa like the example you used, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, is mostly a competitive one-on-one yes. -on -one card game. Very famous LCG that is unfortunately no longer made is uh, Android Netrunner. Yep. That was a competitive game. Um, so there's there's a bit of both uh, in the LCG sphere. And Jake, what one of those models do you prefer? Do you prefer a more cooperative experience, or do you like going directly up against somebody? Oh man, um, I would say in general, when we're talking games. I am in general a direct conflict sort of person. Um, however, having said that. I think for this particular game, I think it makes sense to be a co-op game. I really do. Uh, there are there have been games, not Fantasy Flight, not LCG games that has existed in the past where people are, you know, picking a superhero and then they fight against each other directly. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then, of course, there's a whole, you know, decades long career of like hero clicks. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, where you, you, you the tabletop miniatures yeah. game where you you form a, a thing of, uh, of heroes. But I just think. Despite me mostly enjoying direct competition style games, 
I think this particular game co-op was probably the right plan. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that you can have four people at once all trying to gang up on a villain. Yeah. So I think that's that's probably the right starting point for this kind of game. And thinking about it from that vantage point, a lot of times with cooperative games, I think that Joey and I are both aligned that we like to bring new players into cooperative games because it's a nice way to onboard them. You can teach them the rules. This game is really freaking hard. I don't know. <laughs> like, if you are like a core gamer and you want to jump into a living card game that is really hard and lets you harness the power of Spider-Man or T'Challa or whatever Marvel heroes you fancy, this is... This is a great way to experience that, but don't bring an inexperienced gamer along because there are a million mechanics, a million cards, just a million things to keep track of and not a friendly way to onboard a new person to this hobby. I, I would agree 100%. Uh, you know, uh, and, and this is piggybacking off of what I said. You know, I said this is a, a good model, a good starting point mm-hmm. for this where, it, yeah, you know, obviously we all know last uh you know, nearly 15 years at this point, Marvel is hot, 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 probably hotter than Star Wars. Marvel is perhaps the number one IP, right, in the world, potentially. At this point, yeah. So, yeah, people, you know, you can see people who are into, even if it's just the movies and nothing else, would want to play this game. And then they find out, oh, it's four-player co-op, you know, and they may have a buddy, you know, who's like one of us, who's a core gamer, and they're like, yeah, I'll play this. Oh, I get to be Spider-Man? Yeah, and we all gang up together against this villain? That's awesome. And we can four of us at once? Mm-hmm. So it seems like, yeah, this is the perfect like entry-level core game co-op experience. But it's hard as... Well, you don't want me to swear, right? You- it's hard as f***! Okay? <laughs> <laughs> it is hard. And uh, maybe we can dive more into the difficulty a little bit. Let's start by talking about how well this game leverages the Marvel license. You get to be Spider-Man, which is something that I always enjoy, and I enjoy in every medium. How well does this game nail being these different heroes? Jake, do you want to start us on this one? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, there are things about this game that I do admire. Yep. So, I mean, I I like that you get the heroes. I I like that, you know, you're supposed to have a unique deck that's unique for each hero that you play in a different way. So that's good. And I like that each hero has the their hero form and then their alter ego form Mm -hmm. right and so like joey had mentioned the quote obligation comes up every now and then which is a problem that your non-superhero part is to come with so just as example yeah you can be kicking butt as spider-man but then you may draw the card where like oh man the rent is due (laughs) this peter parker he's just a guy trying to pay rent in new york city how does he do it (laughs) being a part-time photographer what the (laughs) so yeah, the rent comes due, so then he's like, peace, guys, I gotta go be Peter Parker and pay the rent, you know, so that's, that is cool, I do enjoy that, that part of the game, I, I think that's, it's thematically strong, very much yeah, so. and I, I think the art is fantastic, and it feels like the comics, and it does a really good job of representing the version of that character that uh, that they're presenting within there. And oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I like the artwork of everything is, is really well done. Uh, so I think that does a really good job of capturing the Marvel license specifically, uh, specifically Marvel Comics. Uh, it's not tied into the movies or anything like that, which, which is fine by me. I'd rather have it go that way than try to tie into that stuff. It, it's, it's, it's funny... I think they do a good job of each character that I played as played a little bit differently. Some of them had more abilities that you could do in alter ego form than others. 
uh, and those abilities would have different benefits, uh, which I thought was really interesting. They're really themed by the characters, which I thought was cool. Can you give us a specific example of one that stood out for you? Yeah. So, for instance, uh, basically when you're – because I played as Venom. When you're Venom, uh, you know, you're, you're doing Venom stuff, but then when you're Flash – Thompson. Thompson. Well, well, sorry, before you go any further, some people might be thinking, wait, yeah. Flash Thompson Venom? Explain that really briefly. So the, this is the Flash Thompson Venom. This is the first time I've ever seen Flash Thompson Venom. So Yeah, I think uh, Flash got the symbiote in about 2010. It's a relatively recent series of comics that I really enjoy, but it's uh, it's not Eddie Brock. It's not uh, the Scorpion who had the symbiote for a long time. It's Flash it, Thompson. And this Venom has guns, right? This Venom very much has guns. Yeah, and he, uh, all guns. Basically, the government bonded the symbiote with Eddie Brock because Eddie was a war hero and he's like mortally wounded. And so they gave him the symbiote to help save his life. And then they used him. You mean Flash a, Thompson? Yeah. Flash Thompson. Yeah. Him. Hero. Did okay. I say Eddie you Brock? Eddie. He's Eddie Brock. Oh my good Lord. <laughs> this is going to be a terrific show. Anyways, Flash gets the symbiote. Flash is a war hero. Flash gets the symbiote and then they start using him as a covert agent and they send him in for these like impossible missions, kind of like a suicide squad thing. And if he starts to lose control, well, there's a kill switch in his head. So they're just going to, I see. So, so the Flash Thompson version of Venom is more of a military secret mission. It would kind be of thing. like the Punisher crossed with Black Widow. It's Interesting. Like very, I mean, well, maybe just the Punisher because he does covert ops. Yeah, yeah right. It's very right. Punisher. Like he uses a lot of guns and uh, kills a lot of dudes. Right. And one more thing of context: some people may be listening to this thinking, like, okay, wait. So it's not Eddie Brock, but this Venom's name is Flash Thompson. <laughs> and you're thinking, what is he like? Is he an old space hero like Buck Rogers or Flash, Flash Gordon? Gordon? Well, here's who Flash Thompson is. He's from Spider-Man comics going all the way back to the 60s. In the 60s originally, Spider-Man was, uh, Peter Parker was a high school student. Flash Thompson was the jock who always teased Peter Parker. So... That's where that's who Flash Thompson is, and he's been immortalized in the first Tobey Maguire movie. Who played Flash Thompson? Oh, uh, I don't know, a dude with dark hair. He went on to be in a bunch of stuff. Well, yeah. Right on for that guy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right on for that actor. So really, all you can do as an alter ego for Venom is heal. Like I, I the only card I found that had to do anything with his alter ego was that he had a healing tank that he could go into. Um, but then with with uh, I can't remember. I keep wanting to say Jessica Walters, but I know it's not. Jessica she, Jones. Not Jessica Jones. She-Hulk. Yeah, that's Jessica Walters. Is it Jessica is. Walters? Okay, yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe. But anyway, her alter ego, because she's a lawyer in real life, so her alter ego, you're all about mitigating threat in your alter ego. You have some cards that you can do by going to, like, go to court, and you can do these different things that can just wipe off threat by getting rid of, like, your cards. And so... With each one of those, it's kind of wrapped up into there. With Peter Parker, when you're in your alter ego form, you can have Aunt May heal you. Uh, and, and so it's, oh, everything's yeah. kind of wrapped into those characters and the characterizations that give them those benefits. Uh, and each character then has the different things that they can do uh, as a hero, too. So some of them are going to be more like uh, protecting themselves or protecting others. Some of them are more aggressive and just about like punching the crap out of the villain as much as they can. And then like Venom, Venom is about mitigating threat a lot, um, which I, the one thing that kind of strikes me as funny is that he's shooting all these guns around everywhere. And somehow that's making the threat worse. <laughs> making the threat better. That's, I, that's true. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I guess yeah, that's, that's it, kind it's of a like weird. lessening the threat by <laughs> so you know, shooting yeah. sonic guns and uh, my yeah. multi-gun and all this stuff. Well, he's funny. He was controlling the environment so that we could just focus on Rhino. Yeah, I, I guess I guess that's Rhino's true. trying to break in and he is laying down suppressive fire is what you would call that. That makes sense. Yeah, sure. We okay. found a surprising number of ways to lose the very <laughs> first scenario in this game. Rhino is the easiest opponent. It's supposed to be like the beginner scenario and we lost by... Well, the threat got out of control. Did we all die at least one time? We we've never we've never all died. Now we have had some members of the team. Uh, famously, if if you out there who watch the MCU, if you can imagine this, that Rhino gores Thor with a <laughs> ivory horn and stands over his dead body. If you can imagine that happening, well, that happened. <laughs> We played, I think, five games of this over two days, correct? I think four. four. We, yeah, four we did games. two yesterday, we did two today, and we lost three out of the four times. It uh, It is a very challenging game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The deck that I found myself, the deck that I liked the most was Thor. And the thing that I liked about Thor was you kind of had to build an engine. Thor is limited by a small hand size, but he has a lot of hit points. So early on, you can take a lot of attacks from the main enemy, and you can just eat that damage and you slowly have to build up your system until you can finally unleash these powerful combo attacks like chucking Mjolnir and doing eight damage to the any minion standing in front of you and any extra carries on to the rhino that was the deck that I found myself just enamored with and I think I carried the day in the game that we won well show's over everyone go home we all did lots of good stuff in that last game I believe I would say uh uh, the one that I so I actually I liked all three of them quite a bit uh, Spider-Man can do some just crazy damage at points. Are you are you talking about the characters that you played as? Yeah, over the, the course yeah, of these games. Yeah. So you it, did three different people. Yeah, I did three different people. I did yeah. Spider-Man, She-Hulk, and then I did uh, Venom. Okay. And, and so Spider-Man can just do crazy damage at times, and so he was really clutch about that. And he's uh, also good at dodging and not getting hit too. Yes, because yeah. you get backflip to get out of the way and everything yeah. like that, which I think which I think was super clutch. Yeah. She-Hulk, and granted, I wasn't playing with like a full full deck as She-Hulk. But she had, like, when she was in her alter ego form, there was a way to control that threat. At that point, we didn't really understand that we had to do a good job of controlling threat, so I didn't do as much of that stuff. But she could just pound things. And so one of her abilities that I was able to pull off, which was awesome, is Gamma Slam. Uh, the card costs four. Four is the highest value that you have to spend on a card. So basically you know, you're discarding, isn't it? Hercules is six. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, Heimdall is five, and and so basically, you 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 most of your cards only have one resource value on them at the bottom corner, and so you're at least discarding four cards or using other abilities in order to generate energy in order to play that out. But what Gamma Slam does is whatever, however much damage you've taken. So I, at that point, I had three hit points left out of the maximum of fifteen. So I was able to do 12 damage to the end to Rhino at that point by playing Gamma Slam then, which I think was awesome. And then I think I died shortly after that. <laughs> yeah, you, you did huge damage, and he shrugged it off, and he gored you with his ivory horn. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, so I really like that. And I did like Venom. Like I thought trying to get the guns out and 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 realizing that, okay, it's all about getting as many of those guns as you could and then alternating between those abilities and then finding the synergy for me of how I could heal with him pretty quickly and then get back in the action, uh, I thought was like really key to figuring out how to play as Venom. 
and and so each one of them had some really fun ways to play. I don't know which one I would lean towards. I'm actually interested in trying other ones to see just other takes on how to play the game, which I think is what one of the things that really fascinates me about this game is that kind of each deck or each character is designed to be a certain type of character, but even the ones that are designed to be aggressive have different ways of being aggressive and different other things that they can add to the party. Uh, and, and I think that is also really interesting. Like Black Widow, yeah. I thought was super interesting how she played. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I don't know if we brought this up, but you know, these there are the five heroes that come in the core set. But then, Tom, you had also bought, you know, obviously the Flash, Thompson, Venom, which is its own hero pack. You had bought Thor. You had bought Black Widow. Was it just those three? Those three characters, and I had a couple enemy packs too that we didn't get into. Yeah, and and, and the comes the base game comes with three different villains, but like we said, <laughs> we were fighting Rhino, the the level one villain, all four times. Is he was enough for us, I guess. But. Yeah, we had our hands full. Jake, you've played as seven different characters now, I believe. Which ones stand out to you, or what was your favorite experience with this game so far? Yeah, I don't know if it's quite seven, but but I did a I, I played. Uh, played, excuse me, Thor, played, uh... You played the five base characters, yeah. and then Thor and Black Widow. Oh, okay, well, yeah, seven. That's, <laughs> that's the math. <laughs> um, yeah, what do I enjoy the most? Well, maybe this reflects on my skill level, but I had the most fun being Spider-Man, because I... Here's what I think. I think Spider-Man was designed in the core set to be, like, the easiest to play, maybe, because he's, you know, he you got good damage sometimes, you got good dodge ability, like, this, I feel like Spider-Man is designed to just be like, pick up and play, someone's going to have fun being Spider-Man, mm -hmm. right? Now, I did, after being Black Widow for two games in a row, I did start to enjoy how she fights, which is mostly get out different spy gadgets mm -hmm. that mitigate some of the cards that the villain has come towards you. And then in mitigating that, she can also sneak in one or two points of damage. Mm -hmm. So she's way lower on the damage dealing spectrum. But than... she was so helpful with all that mitigation. Like she was yeah. a tremendous tool to have in the party. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I did enjoy that. I did did do two games as, as Black Widow and, and got good with that. Uh, right out of the box. Say, say if someone's listening to this and they're going to buy this game or they're going to play it with some friends. If you got a friend who's, you know, very low on the core gamer familiarity you want to stick them with spider-man to make sure that they have a good time i would say and prepare to play more than once like the first yeah. even as core gamers who have played similar style of games we really struggled in our first playthrough of the game in general because there's a lot just to there's a lot of systems in play to manage and just the first time you're playing with a specific character learning their ins and outs and their tricks and the mm -hmm. way their synergies and things work together it's the first game you're going to play is going to be a waste yeah. i would yeah. strongly encourage you to if you're going to get into this game play the same character a couple of times before branching out into other characters yeah yeah i'd agree a thousand percent yeah and, and that's saying something because we're not you know we're not schmucks I mean, I own this game. Tom, you own this game. Joey, you're just good with rules in general. So we, I mean, we're not, we're not dumb. We, I mean, we're, you know, we're at least level two dorks. Certainly more than that. And we still lost, lost, yeah. lost. Then we finally won. So there's some, there's a learning curve yeah. to this game. And and understood rules wrong like the first three games we played because. It just took a while to absorb how everything worked together. And then also on top of that, 
taking some time to figure out how a certain character actually works and what's the best thing, the best way to play them. Uh, like takes time, I think, to figure that out. Yeah, agreed. Do we like this game? What are what are its high points? For me, I do like this game very much, and I look forward to playing it more. And I I like the challenge, but just. That learning curve is yeah, it's hard, and like I can envision playing this with my wife, but I don't know if she's gonna be super into like all the rules. We like we like the Lord of the Rings card game that for whatever reason seems a little bit more manageable from a rule standpoint. You know, and that's interesting because I had heard that in just talking Fantasy Flight LCG co-op games, I had heard that Marvel Champions was supposed to be designed to be the easiest and most user friendly because I've heard people talk about. The Lord of the Rings LCG is just punishingly hard. And I've heard about Arkham Horror card game just being like, basically, that's for masochists. That's for people who like to lose, you know. So I thought this was supposed to be easier. So it's interesting that you're saying that you guys got a handle on Lord of the Rings. And then, you know, we get our ass kicked mostly at this game by effing rhino mm. well with the thing with the lord of the rings game is that it can swing wildly just based on the luck of the deck basically you can sometimes extra monsters will trigger sometimes monsters will go to the like the hero or the ally that you just can't have get attacked in that turn and there's a little bit of unpredictability there that's just out of your luck we've taken it on the chin plenty of times playing lord of the rings but there are also times where it goes the other way and it's like oh well Nothing really bad happened, and we just tore through these scenarios. And Legolas mm. is doing all this crazy exploring. I think that Marvel Champions is a bit more of a balanced experience. Like we went up against the Rhino four times. We took it on the chin three times. We barely squeaked out a victory the fourth time. But those each of those tries, at least to me, felt consistent. Like There wasn't any wild swing in the difficulty. It was just hard. It was very punishing, and especially trying to mitigate threat while doing damage to this mm-hmm. big, beefy supervillain. It was hard, but... it. It felt like a similar experience where Lord of the Rings can just have wild swings and difficulty based on luck. So, I mean, you would argue that despite its learning curve and its difficulty, that this is a tighter game. Yes. Tighter gameplay than the other LCG you've played. And I think one of the reasons for that in Lord of the Rings LCG, like you control two to three, one to three heroes. And like in Marvel Oh, that'd be super confusing. You're you're managing one to three dudes each? Yep. Each is generating resources. Each is... And it can be it can be a lot. Where in Marvel Champions, it's a more streamlined experience because you have your main character. You have Spider Man, and you can summon all these different allies. You can summon Jessica Jones. You can summon Lady Sif. You can summon Daredevil, Star Lord, Mockingbird. All these characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But each one of those characters is kind of a throwaway. Like generally speaking, the way we use those characters is we'd summon them. They'd do either one attack or one thwart, and then they would take an attack for the hero, and then they go in the discard pile. <laughs> uh, more, for the team. more than <laughs> once, Black Widow got on the radio and said, hey, Bucky. And Winter Soldier <laughs> says, yeah? And Black Widow's like, I'm fighting Rhino again. Can you get down here? <laughs> he shows up, says, all right, Widow, I'm here to help. He gets gored. <laughs> and that was her plan all along. Yeah, they, meat shield. the allies are basically meat shields. <laughs> Which is maybe a, not exactly like... Not comic accurate. Universe, yeah, yeah, but, right. but, but it's it's still it's how the game has to work, right? Yeah, it's a necessary mechanic because like you, otherwise you'd have like this whole army of superheroes. I'd have eight allies in front of me. Jake, you'd have eight allies in front of you. And like how we just mow through the rhino. This game would be too easy then. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, l- let me say this. If we, I mean, if we're being comic accurate, it is a little funny that rhino is able to take on 
for example, Spider-Man, uh-huh. Thor, Iron Man, and Captain Marvel and hold his own against all four of those. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but in Spider-Man comics, Rhino's designed to be a villain that takes on, you know, just Spider-Man. And Spider-Man is able to defeat him over the course of one issue. So Rhino's pretty. Rhino's basically pumped up to like juggernaut levels in this game. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Say. And the other villains in the base game are Claw and Ultron. Is that right? Yes. Like I could see Ultron being this difficult. And you, uh, what have you heard about people who have been fighting against Ultron since the game launched in 2019? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so anecdotal uh, evidence here. Yeah, I got I got a buddy who was a uh, a tester on this game. I got a buddy who got this game the day it came out. He loves Marvel. He's been a comic fan forever. He loves this game. He loves LCGs. He's played that. He buys all the expansions. He's played everything. And I talked to him and it's three years, what, two, three years later, whatever, you know, 2019. And he's like, yeah, man, I still haven't defeated Ultron. <laughs> well, Jake, I'll look at you as our like most hardcore comic fan here. And as a core gamer, is that a challenge that you welcome? Are you glad that Ultron is that tough, or is it annoying not to be able to beat the game that we bought? Well, it, it you know what? It's a little, like with a lot of things, it's a little bit what you want out of a game. I'm not going to rag on this game because I think I think overall the idea of this game and the mechanics are solid. Um, it, 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 this game is just very appealing and the art mm-hmm. style and how it's designed. So I don't want to say this game sucks. Don't play it. Okay. Um, you know, plus I know people who were involved in yeah. making it or testing it. I don't, I don't yeah. want to be a dick to people that I know. <laughs> okay. But at the same time, my personal preference, if I'm going to spend two hours or more playing a game, I would rather be playing a board game. I would rather have the cool bits maybe some minis, maybe some dice chucking, right? I'm not, If it, maybe it's just how my mind works. If I'm thinking card game, I'm thinking like 30-minute rounds tops is what I'm thinking. So for me personally, for as much as I admire about this game, I think it's too complex and too difficult and really just too long for a card game. That's where I'm coming from. Interesting. Burns, your rebuttal to this game being too long, too difficult, too complex. So card games in general are always complex. Is is I think that's one of the downfalls of like card games that are built like this, right? There's your, you know, one deck dungeon. That that's a very streamlined, straightforward game. Is that because from a design standpoint, each card can like introduce a different rule or it just and yes. it becomes like this complicated web that is very challenging to interpret? Well, yes, and because there's always circumstances where two cards interact and you're like, well, how exactly does that work? Like, I can read what this card says, I can read what this card says, and then I can read what the rules say that explains the rules on those cards, but the way they interact just brings up a question. And you're like, but it, does that really work that way? And it doesn't seem right, or it does seem right. I think card games run into that a lot. Like Magic the Gathering runs into that a lot. As the games get longer, you have more expansions added. There's more questions about how the interplay happens with this character and their abilities with this thing that was in the core set. Um, And I think that's just something that happens as you're developing something. At the start, you have this very tight-knit, this is how this all works together. And then you're extrapolating on it because you want people to buy more of it. And, but as you're adding in those complications, it starts to 
like it just brings up weird things that you're trying to put together. And as you're trying to learn all that stuff, it's just a lot of rules to try to keep together all at once. Right. Um, because they're trying to build something that's, they're trying to build something that's simulating being a group of superheroes trying to take down a supervillain. And with that, there needs to be some level of cooperative planning and strategy. And I think the other thing that they want is that they want you to feel a level of, because if it's one-on-one, it, do, it doesn't matter. Like if it's one-on-one, you're fighting each other. One person's going to win. One person's going to lose. If you're fighting against an AI enemy, I think they have to make it difficult so you have that feeling of accomplishment. And I think that's why that kind of lives there. Because if you just blow through them in 20 minutes, you're like, eh, it was fun to flip cards, but ow, there's nothing really there for it. Whereas after we lost the first time, we're like, okay, I want to try somebody else just to see what they do. And I think we need to do this against him differently. And then after we lost again, then we're like, okay, we need to try this again. Um, we really have to pay attention to the threat, but not too much because we have to take down his... And, and so... I think there's something to be said with like learning as you're going through and developing like those skills and those synergies, not just like with your character that you're playing as, but with the villain and how you need to combat the things that he's going to throw at you. And then like with the people you're playing with and it's kind of like, uh, I'm going to need your lightning energy Thor next turn because that's going to help me be that much more effective and kill this minion and have that damage splash on to uh, Rhino afterwards. And once you start to find those synergies, then you're like, okay, because that's where the game sings is when you're, you're hitting on all these cylinders, you're playing like the Avengers at the end of Avengers instead of the Avengers at the beginning of Avengers. And you're like, Hey, we felt that development over these last two days and getting to that point, And now we feel like superheroes. Can we finally beat freaking Rhino? <laughs> you know? And I think there's something to be said with that. That's not for everybody. That is for dang sure. It's not for everybody. But Burns, it sounds like it's for you. Am I reading your <laughs> reaction here correctly that um, you really enjoyed this game? I So one of my friends was really interested in buying the game, and he hasn't picked it up yet because he's just sort of waiting for – he wants a campaign to be integrated with it so that you can like like build on from like beating certain things, you get certain things. And they've talked about maybe doing something like some sort of a campaign variant with an expansion down the line. So this he's kind of waiting on that. So that is not in the, in the like deluxe expansions. Those are not campaigns yet. I don't think so. Okay. Or it could be that it was introduced in those and he just hasn't gotten back around to buying it yet. Okay. I think those are like villains and like side schemes. So like different ways you can mix it up. So you can throw in Green Goblin and there's different like schemes that he could be working towards. Whether yeah. It's... Well, those are the smaller packs. I'm talking like the $25. Like the Red Skull? Yeah, like the mini boxes. I don't yeah. know um, if I don't know if it's a campaign or not. Okay. Um, But uh, so at that point, I looked into the game and I was just like, it just seems like another card game. Um, and there's so much Marvel stuff right now. Uh, and I was just like, eh, you know, whatever. I, I, I'd play it if you got it, but I'm not that interested in it. But after playing it the last two days, I flip and love this game. Like, it was so much fun. It was so interesting. And, like, the good thing about, like, LCGs for the most part for me, like, where I struggle when playing, like, other card games, like, especially Magic the Gathering, is... I really struggle with, I have all these cards and I have to make a deck. And okay, I try to fit in all this crap together and try to make it all work. All five colors, 
you know, I have all the avatars. I'm going to make this work. And it's, it's, it's always a boondoggle. I can't make that decision. Whereas this feels like it's going to focus you much more in. It gives you, hey, we're recommending you use this as a deck to start with. And then after that, it's like, hey, so what if I took out these couple of cards with Venom and instead worked in these other cards that I saw other people use? Like, that's going to make him more effective, right? And that that's just like triggers things. And it's like, okay, that's going to help me when I fight the next thing that's going to be harder. A couple things to unpack there. First off, in Magic the Gathering, pick a color and go with it, dude. At max, <laughs> two colors, okay? Just pick one color and go with it, all right? Keep it simple. <laughs> As far as deck construction goes in Marvel Champions, I think it's a really interesting system that they came up with. Each character has 15 specific cards. Spider-Man, She-Hulk, Black Panther, they all have 15 specific cards for them. They also have an aspect that is tied to their deck. So I believe Thor is aggression, there's a guardian, there's... Uh, I can't remember what I think, I think the term just, is protector. Protector, yeah, protector yeah. justice. So they each have an aspect. When you buy like an expansion pack, when you buy, say, the Venom expansion, it has his 15 cards. It has his specific aspect. I think he's aggressor as well. Uh, it'll have a specific deck made for him. Then it'll have some extra cards that you can use to build the other deck. So if you wanted to build a custom deck for Spider-Man, mm -hmm. you take your Spider-Man 15 cards. You have to have them. That's just part of the rules of deck construction. Then you add aspect, but there's the recommended aspect that come in the base game, but you could also swap those out with any of the cards from the expansion. So if they're all red cards, like you have a pool, there's also a pool of basic cards that any of the heroes can go through and you can build a deck of 40 to 50 cards. I think, or maybe it's 30 to 40. There's a minimum number that you have to have and there's a maximum, they're 10 apart. It's either 30 to 40 or 40 to 50. As far as living card games go, this game, while comparing it to Lord of the Rings again, this game has a much more limited construction. In Lord of the Rings, there are, I think, four different aspects, and then each of the cards ties to a different aspect. So if you want to be like the healing aspect, you pick a lot of cards out of the healing and you generate, you have certain heroes that generate that resource that you use. In this game, I feel like the deck construction is going to be limited. Burns, yeah. it sounds like that's a positive for you. Yeah. For me, it's a bit of a negative because I like having more flexibility, although I totally understand your point about getting overwhelmed with too many options. Jake, do you have thoughts on rock, like deck construction? Is that an appealing thing? Do you prefer a more wide-open option like Magic the Gathering, or do you prefer a more constrained effort like they try to do with Marvel Champions? Uh, for me personally, I'm the type of gamer that is, uh, that is more constrained. Uh, you know, For people who may be listening who know me well, my favorite type of game is is like a uh, like it's a, memoir forty four. Well, I I do like that a lot, but then there there's another one that I play with our friend Pat. That's one of my favorite games. I like historical war games, and 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 you know aside from the the history of it, just take that out of the equation. It was just looking at how it works as a game. It's like here's a historical scenario, okay, and then here's your side set up, okay, the way that they were, and then here's the other side set up the way that they were, and yeah, you got choices as you play right but it's you sit you sit down you set it up the way they want you to set it up and then you play so i'm a gamer who's like going into something i'm like oh man i gotta construct decks hmm. you know this is <clears throat> this is not for me you know so here in i you know in, i think it's interesting that we're coming at it from different points of view i am the type of gamer and, and again i would say i'm not a low level gamer mm -hmm. i played yeah. a lot of games yeah. but going into this type of game i would be the person who's like oh cool it's marvel give me a deck that i can have fun with because i don't want to spend time constructing a deck you know and then you would hand me spider-man 
and I would have fun for an evening and I'll be like, cool, I'll play this again at some point. Whereas you, you know, especially you, Joey, uh-huh. you're like, that was awesome. Now I'm going to construct this uh-huh. and this, and we're going to play this again and again and again. You know, I can see you getting your own copy of this game uh-huh. and you're going to be playing this game a lot. Possibly. Yeah. I'm interested in it. I, I, I it really struck me harder than I thought it was going to. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wasn't anticipating enjoying it as much as I did. It's a good game. It came in about where I expected it. Like, uh, I, I really enjoy it. If people listening to this are interested in getting into Marvel Champions, let's talk about the business model mm. of living card games. Mm. This is this is the hardest thing to wrap my head around for me. As a consumer, I don't feel like it's a very consumer-friendly practice. Basically, they release the game. You buy the Marvel Champions box for $70, and you can play with five heroes against three enemies, and... Yes, you can play that, but they keep releasing new things, new characters, new add-ons to it, and each one of those is an extra investment. So, like, if you get into Marvel Champions, that's great. You can have some fun with the box, but if you want to play as Venom, if you want to play as uh, Ms. Marvel, if you want to play as a bunch of other characters and keep, like, expanding, it's great that you have an avenue that this game can keep growing and you can keep building to your heart's content with it. But the downside is there is a major financial constraint there. I think the benefit, though, of the Marvel one compared to, like, especially if I'm looking at, uh, and I never played it, but I always was interested, but, like, the Game of Thrones LCG oh, I forgot about that, that they one. put out for yeah. for a while. And that and was a competitive one, right? I yeah. think it was a competitive that one. That was head-to-head. Yep. But the thing about that is it's like, it felt like, sure, you would maybe pick your house that you wanted to play as, yeah. but something like that would feel like I need to buy everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, it's like, I like that hero. I'll buy that hero pack. I like that hero. I'll buy that hero pack. I don't give a squat about playing as the hood. I don't even know who the heck the hood is. So I'm not going to pick that up. I don't know who the hood is either, but I have to have it. (laughs) Now that I've bought in and I have expansions, like I have to have it all. Like I want the whole thing. I wish, I wish there's just one big sticker price. I'm like, either I'm going to buy this or I'm not going to buy it, but at least I get all of it. That's the hardest thing for me. I want all the stuff, but I just hate the practice of having to buy them piecemeal, one piece at a time. Interesting. So it's, you know, I think it's interesting that you're coming at this as in this game is going to take too much of my money because, you know, being dorks and, you know, being in the biz and stuff for a bit, like you hear about like, oh no, you're going to get a young kid into magic. Well, say goodbye to your disposable income, (laughs) you know, like, you know, you hear about like magic is the money suck, but, but you're saying this LCG model sucks your money. I feel like it does. I feel like it's the exact same mechanic in magic. The gathering, there are seasons and you can use what the last two seasons in competitive play. Like the last two years, last two years, but eventually your cards are going to age out and you have to keep buying the new content. I feel like there's an element of that with the living card games. And I just, I don't feel like it's a very consumer friendly practice. I've always struggled with, things that drip out expansions and continually ding you for more money. I would much rather know what the full cost is and decide whether or not to buy it all or to not buy it all. It's it's so weird. Yeah, cuz I thought the model was designed to be more affordable. And you're and you're saying you yeah. think it's less affordable. I feel like it's less affordable and again going back to the Lord of the Rings game cuz I've spent a lot of time with that game. Well, now to be and, and I'll let you finish your point to be fair with that, the Lord of the Rings LCG has been out since 2011. 10 years now so there's a lot of content with that even though it's an lcg there's so much you can buy 
There is, and I feel like that game, the odds were stacked against you in the base, so you had to buy the expansions. And ah. I feel maybe a lot of my negative feelings towards the expansions for Marvel Champions are tied to that, because you really had to keep buying more packs to get better cards to get through just the scenarios in the base game. Like, I haven't even played any of the many, many expansions we've bought for that game, because it's like, I finally got the deck where it is, so we can kind of cruise through the first two scenarios, and then we just haven't gotten back to it. Well, that's funny, because the game that we finally won against Rhino... Again, the easiest uh-huh. villain in the base game. Huh. Who did we defeat him with? Flash Thompson, Venom, Thor, and Black Widow. All none, expansion <laughs> none in the base game. So maybe that's maybe that's what we needed. But some of that might just be that that's the ones that we landed on and we stuck with them. And, and that's possibly why we did that. Though it seems like they have a little bit more tricks than... Some of like the simplified stuff that was in, like especially Spider-Man in the base game, right? Yeah, I have mm-hmm. a hard time drawing that conclusion just because we right. were new to the game, we were new right. to each of the characters. So I feel like if we suck to three characters out of the base game for three games in a row, I feel like we'd beat Rhino, especially now that we've, we're four games in and we have most of the kinks for the mechanics ironed out. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I took Umbridge with the living card game business model. Are there any other outstanding issues with this game that you guys have? Any quibbles? Anything that drove you crazy about it that you want to discuss? So similarly with the business model, like as we were talking about last night when we were looking at it, so you have these five characters that you can play out of the base game, right? And it's a four-player game. Correct. But you only get enough cards to fill up three full decks of characters. that's right. Okay, that is just... They can't call it a four-player game out of the box. And they can't. Right. It's not a four-player game. We had the deck stacked against us, and we were doomed in that very first game. And it's fine. We learned the rules. We learned some yep. of the mechanics. And it was a learning experience. But it was a waste of our time, and that is not a consumer-friendly practice. If you say one to four players, you better have enough components for four players to play the game. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was pretty rude. So we had Spider-Man had a full deck. Captain Marvel had a full deck. Black Panther had a full deck. But, man, you were hamstrung <laughs> with a with a incomplete she-hulk deck. yeah i mean yeah. i had one ally that i thought i couldn't play because we misunderstood the rules of how to pay resources at that yeah, point right uh and uh the the good thing is is i got my really big abilities over and over and over again because yeah. i went through my deck like four times that's true yeah you, was only a you, cycled, deck. you cycled your cards pretty quick that's true <laughs> but yeah it, it was it was pretty limiting uh and without that. And you can't, I don't think you can play, technically, I don't think you really could play the game without having the full deck. Oh, like some basic cards. And certainly like we that. couldn't move on to Claw or Ultron no, no. With, with a reduced team. Yeah. No way. And this game retails for $70. If it's a cheaper experience, like that's fine. But really, they should just label it one to three players. Like yes. If the game can expand with more heroes and more expansions, that's fine. I can buy into that, but I don't, I don't feel like that was an honest thing that they printed on the box that it was one to four players in the base game. Yeah. I, I think the other thing, I looked in, at Jake because it's his fault. <laughs> you did this to us. I, I had no input in the design you of this game. You are the man. You ruined my life. I just sold it to people. Okay. Who then sold it to other people. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I think the other thing, um, and I'll, I'll rag on fantasy flight a lot for the FFG trench. Um, in the game. The FFG trench. That's what I call it. It's every box has yeah. the cardboard trench 
for storage. Oh, you just mean the inside the box. The inside of the box, you have the middle that's a trench, and then the flaps underneath where you could maybe store some other stuff. Cardboard flaps, yeah. 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 I I refer to it as the FFG trench. I make fun of, like, Fantasy Flight a lot for that. Um, The other thing I think that, unfortunately, they have an identity of right now is. Like, they were on the cutting edge of a lot of things. Sure. In, like, I mean, they were what grew, I would say they were what grew the industry to what it is today. Single-handedly, huh? Is that what you think? They were a lot of the factor of what pushed a lot of these things. And what specifically was driving, or what were those key innovations that drove the industry? Well, I mean, they are the LCG industry, right? Certainly, yeah. Like, that is a business model they created and that they developed and that they, I mean, they're one of the only sole purveyors of that. Like there's other card games out there. They can't be called LCGs because I don't, I don't think they can legally. They would be sued if yes, they yes. tried to make LCGs. Um, yeah. Besides if they weren't. Fans, I think but. in general also like a lot of the games that they put out were huge. I mean, there were other huger games. Like, I mean, pandemic is the largest game. They don't own that. Well, but asthma day does. Oh, Asma Day does, but like yep. Fantasy Flight, like when I was talking about it from like that standpoint at first. You mean you mean before Fantasy Flight was a part of Asma yes, Day? Yes. Okay. Like yeah. they, they were they were known to be revolutionary, and I think at a certain point they stopped. Like th- I think they've lost some of that, like of being like cutting edge and pushing things forward. Uh, and and I think one of the things with, like one of the things with this game is. I completely lost my freaking train of wow. thought. You were working towards something. Working towards something, and then I completely lost it. Yeah, um, we were talking about how Fantasy Flight games drove the industry forward, and I asked for specific thoughts on like what their innovations were. Um, but but what was? Yeah, I completely lost where I was going with that. I had like a very specific point about um, the gameplay, um, and then I got myself sidetracked, and I lost it. If I come back to it. Well, it is gone forever. It is gone forever in the ether of internet podcasting. We I apologize to... for that. Holy crap. Now you were you were worked up too. I was man. worked up and yeah. I was working to a very it made sense too, and then I just completely lost it. You know, yeah. And and I think we should keep all of this in. Oh yeah, and we're definitely I know keeping your, your it all thought in. is, well, you know, this big tangent went yeah. nowhere. But let's keep let's keep it. Yeah. Because we're human, and yeah. we and we need to remind yes, people yes, that. Yes. Yeah, and uh, don't tell me what to do on my podcast, <laughs> Jake. You, I think we're a little more lukewarm on this game than either Burns or I. Were there any outstanding challenges with this game that just didn't draw you in, or is it just not your cup of tea? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say out of the three of us, I'm the person who maybe likes this game the least, and a lot of that does have to do with just my play style, and uh, you know, I I like a good board game, as in like. In the traditional sense of like, I have my life, right? Which does include other dorky things. And then it's like, oh yeah, let's get together with some buddies. Let's play some board games. And then they hit the table. You play them. I do want them to be deep and have nice strategy. Mm -hmm. But then the game is done. You put it away. You move on to the next thing. As Burns is describing, and this is the case with many card games in general, is really to be good at this game, you have to kind of live it. This has to be your hobby in some ways. Even when you're not playing it, mm-hmm. you got to be thinking about the next deck you're going to put together. Yes, and that is that is just not my style. It never never has been. I've never big into magic, nothing like that. That's just not me. Um, so you know, my main complaint that this is too complicated, too long, 
too hard for a sit down and play for two hours thing. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes from where I'm coming from, being that kind of gamer. You got me back to where I was going. Oh, here we go. Yes. Okay. Um, so I think the industry has moved forward in a way that like Fantasy Flight hasn't in that you have to have a much more streamlined onboarding experience, especially if you have a complicated game. Uh, looking at like companies like uh, Stonemaier Games when they made Wingspan, um, and it wasn't in the first box, but right after that, they put out a starting pack that leads you through how to play the first like like the first like two rounds oh, of the sure. game. Yeah. And it basically tells you play these cards, then you see how this works. The next pl- player plays these cards, you see it, you understand how this works and it it tutorializes and leads you through how the game works. Um, Jaws of the Lion for Gloomhaven. The original Gloomhaven was a monster to try to figure out how to make that game work. It took I mean I'm sure I was Sherpa a year group to figure out how the rules all played together because it's that complicated. You, Did you take you take the word Sherpa and turn it into a verb? Yes, yes. Yeah, you are kind enough to run not just one of my groups, but two groups through the <laughs> opening scenarios of uh, Gloomhaven. You are a phenomenal rules person, Bird. So yeah. I appreciate your perspective on that because you're a guy who digests and teaches a lot of games mm-hmm. to a lot, lot of different people. So where this game is at, like coming out in 2019... You cannot expect the intro game to be two hours. Like, you just can't. You need to have, as part of, like, have it be another small pamphlet in that book that gives them a much smaller scenario to fight against Rhino, where he has he has 20 HP. You're playing with maybe just the 15 cards that you have, and you're working through how that works. And you're gaining threat and learning that you have to mitigate threat in a certain way. Like you have to now, I think the way that the way that you need to address like a wide audience, especially if you're trying to do that, mm-hmm. like you have to have a way that you're onboarding people to your game in a much more simple fashion. And I think a lot of game developers and publishers are doing that these days yeah. and they're seeing that that's a smart way to ha- make sure people are satisfied with their purchase and make sure they understand the game the way that you want them to so that they're not playing one rule wrong for 10 sessions until finally they see a video on the internet. It's like, oh, I've been doing that wrong all this time. And, and I think oh, that's- good, I've wasted things. all this time. Terrific. Yeah, exactly. And so I think like that's something that I wish that they would have thought more about because uh, yeah. like that's a turnoff for you is that it took so long to play. I, I agree 100%. I mean, taking on Rhino is the intro scenario, and we're taking on him in his easiest form. He can yeah. have a more difficult version. So we're taking on the easiest form yeah. of the easiest villain in the base game. We played four times. Yeah. It took at least two hours each time, yeah. and we lost three out of the four times. Yes. And, and so I think I think that's something that they just... that that needs to happen more so. And I think they've actually done that with their, um, with their app based games. Yeah. But I think that's something that if they can find a way to do that with the LCG games, I think that's going to be extremely helpful. Um, and I'm sure there's probably something online that you could find that maybe has like a more streamlined scenario. But if I was going to be playing with newer players to the game, like I would probably craft a scenario like that in order for them to learn how to play it before we would jump into even the, intro scenario and it's funny that you bring up videos online yeah there's tutorial videos that you can watch online for pretty much any game that comes out and companies sure. pay people to do it yeah but 
just think about our group of friends. When we introduce a new game to it, like somebody texts out the video and like yeah. nobody watches no. it. Whoever owns the game is responsible <laughs> yeah. for teaching the rules. Burns is responsible for teaching the rules. <laughs> yeah. And like it's that resource exists, but realistically, it's just not something that someone's going to do. And especially yeah. if they're not like a core gamer that's invested in whatever this new game is that you're yeah. playing. Like it's just. I agree with you completely. There needs to be better onboarding. Yeah, and it, we know what we're doing. We didn't. We didn't watch a video. No, I did play the game. You know, because like I said, I, I own it. I played it before our session. Yeah. It was a couple months ago. A lot of the rules did slip out of my wow. head in that time, and I did remember watching a little video. But I kind of, uh, even with that video, I didn't quite yeah. understand a lot of it still. Yeah. Because most people learn by doing, right? Yeah. And yep. so having something that like guides them through that is going to be such. It's gonna be. It's going to help make sure people are much more satisfied instead of buying the box and being like, okay, I got to resell this, or it's gonna be collecting dust because I like the look of it, but yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna play it again, you know. Uh, and so I think that's something that like this game desperately, desperately needs. Agreed. To summarize, Burns and I like this game very much. Yeah, Jake, it wasn't really your cup of tea, but. It's a fun game if you're interested in a hard, like, heavy card game where you get to jump in and take the avatars of some of your favorite Marvel characters. It's a pretty good option. It Be prepared for a steep learning curve. Be prepared for some frustration. Be prepared to shell out some money because it's not just the base <laughs> game you need. You're going to need a bunch of expansions. Well, to, to be fair, if you suck as much as we apparently do, you will be playing against Rhino for a week <laughs> and then probably... Who knows? Years before yeah. you can even defeat the first three villains. So maybe you don't need the enemy packs, no. uh, but you might need the other expansion. You got to buy the better heroes, though, <laughs> and yeah. maybe the other enemy packs are a little less brutal. I don't know. I, 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 I have know. not I heard know. that they're easier. Yeah. Oh well, but. terrific. Well, this game can be a lot of fun. Just know what you're getting into if you decide to invest in Marvel Champions. That is the bulk of our Venom show, guys. you have any other outstanding thoughts, anything else we want to cover about my favorite character? Yeah, we, we got to try to tie it all back into, you know, your favorite character. I, I would say understanding more about Venom makes me understand more about Tom's id. <laughs> and I just understand Tom a lot more now. Yeah. Well, welcome inside the brain. Welcome to the party, yo. <laughs> Let's eat some brains. This is pretty scary, actually. Yeah, no, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my takeaway is that I, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed playing this game with you guys, even if, you know, I was a little frustrated at times, but, you know, it was cool to get out uh, Venom to go along with this. It was, uh, you know. It was fun to revisit those god-awful old games. <laughs> again, I love retro games. Those just were not good ones. Um, and, oh, yeah, we saw the movie. And, again, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. I kind of thought it would be bad. And, it, you know, kind of eh, basically is. You know, but I can still enjoy myself. But, but my favorite takeaway from all of this is that I love the comparison that you are Venom Tom and that our good friend Pat is Peter Parker. And that, that makes me understand you guys so much more and uh in you know and, and then i'm curious to see how you think about the rest of us and what we play you know yeah well we are venom <laughs> that sums it up next month we are moving on from venom to do a show about the witcher john joey and i will be breaking down the first season of the netflix show and witcher 3 bernsey this is the first time both you and i have played this john believes it is the best video game of all time your 10 seconds impressions of the witcher 3 leading into next month's show it's very 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 good yeah yeah it's pretty good yeah it's long it is long it is it is long and it's it's really bad it's so bad i get so sidetracked with gwent 
or whatever else. I'm it's, sure you get sidetracked with everything. There's a billion things to do in that yes, game. Yes, it's it's a huge, it's a world. It's an actual world. It's crazy. And I cannot wait to dive in and break it all apart with you and John next month. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. That's patreon.com slash OIO. For Joey at Hobbybox Burns and for Jake who is not on the internet, I'm Tom Sidlogic <laughs> at Tom Sidlogic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. Also, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Did you accidentally say relationship? I, I did. I did accidentally say that. I'm going to use that. It's <laughs> good. Your next fight? I no, I'm not. I'm not going to use that against my wife. No, no. I'm I'm going to use that in other situations. I would not use that against my own wife. No, uh, sir. <laughs> that's that's probably that's probably smart. Yeah. Uh, and so you know that I, is true. I'm envisioning you know. Uh, a turd with your face on it <laughs> being pushed out of an anus. But that's my point. That's my last point on it. Is this a poop, Tom? <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> I am the best goddamn podcast host in the world. <laughs>